that we can safely protect. You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Special thanks to our current annual educational event sponsors, including The Workshop, CBD National, and Green Earth Medicinals. If you want to learn more about our Curious About Cannabis events, go to cacpodcast.com slash events. And if your company would like to become an event sponsor, visit cacpodcast.com slash sponsors to learn more. It's a weird year to be in cannabis, I would say. Um, and I think like it reminds me of 2020 and the pandemic when when like I was really busy and the lab was really busy and the rest of the world wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it kind of feels like that right now for me in the cannabis industry where like a lot of labs are closing, a lot of businesses are, you know, shutting their doors forever. Um And like, we just keep getting busier and keep getting bigger. And like, so, you know, like where the growth is happening, it's happening fast. Yeah. And in the rest of the places, you know, it's just, um, it's just a lot of change, you know, which like, I love, I love to rearrange my furniture. I love to experience anything new. Um, but it is a, it is a weird time for this industry because, you know, we are like seeing all of the things that we expected to, you know? Exactly, yeah. Like all those <laughs> that we predicted from the beginning. It's like, oh, we're right. living in this, you know, this period where everything is maturing and it's uh, it's painful to watch because uh, it's like right. people you know, you know, that are going yeah. through all sorts of crazy stuff. And yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a crazy, ever since 2020, it's just been weird. Every year has been weird. I don't know. Right. I feel like the pandemic gave us like a, like an extension Mm -hmm. on like the kind of sweet spot of like getting high prices and, you know, being this weird in demand and overvalued product. I think that the pandemic gave us like a little bit of a stretch um, and that maybe we would have been here where we are right now in 2020 if that hadn't happened. Yeah. Um, You know, but uh but it's hard to say, of course, you know, um, I just, I feel like for years, uh, you know, we've been saying this is going to kill farmers in California and it took years, but it did. And, you know, same thing with testing. We've been saying for years, we need testing. And then everyone says, but the labs are bad. And, you know, finally states are requiring testing and requiring accreditation and actually holding labs accountable and actually shutting them down. And, you know, like all kinds of things are, um, you know, just like, like I said, none of it's a surprise. We, everyone said it. Most of us were ringing bells trying to raise awareness, and just now it's actually happening. It's total. Yeah. It's uh, interesting. The past year, I've seen several art of, like big articles come out about cannabis testing fraud, and I'm like, this is great that you're highlighting. Mm-hmm. Wish you would have highlighted it like five years ago, three years ago. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it took just long enough that like we're still mad you know like it still isn't good enough because it yeah. you know we're like well you know where was this when it was affecting me you know yeah. right when i was going through hell, <laughs> yeah all this. exactly yeah. exactly so it's a tough uh it's a tough place to be um because i see so much struggle in the industry but i also still see all of the potential that we ever had before you know what's exciting for me is that public consumption finally is a thing in Colorado in teeny yeah. baby steps, but like the very first license where you can sell cannabis mm-hmm. and consume it on site 
has passed. Um, That business model still kind of sucks because you can't bring in your own cannabis to smoke. Mm -hmm. Just like at a bar, you can't bring a, you know, a sixer. Um, But like, nobody knows how to do that yet. You know, nobody knows how to not bring their own pipe. You know what I mean? At a bar, you can bring your own cigarettes. (laughs) Right, right. It's like a strange in between. Yeah, but like you can't, you know, you don't bring your own glass to the bar. You don't bring your own booze to the bar. And that's, you know, kind of the same thing with this model. So it's like you can't bring your own Puffco. You can't, you know what I mean? Like you end up with all these weird rules that, you know, uh, in time and with, you know, just consistency will get used to it but it um but it hasn't been a thing yet um and then the licensed consumption lounges that are only bring your own yeah and they have no sales those are starting to show up now so we've got a couple of those that are licensed um but it's uh it's starting to have a structure and that's exciting for me because it's kind of the next step i feel for like the retail landscape Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because we've spent a lot of time pretending that it's all about medical. Right. Um, and like medical use is extremely important, but we have given zero attention to real medical problems as an industry, okay. you know, yeah, no. um, if, lots of research is being done. It's not doing, being done by us, you know, yeah, we're not. We medical seriously, <laughs> like, yeah, there's a number of things that would have happened that would be different. a long time. Yeah. Ago. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, so I am excited for that change um, for public consumption to like become an established thing, because I do think it's the next evolution of the retail landscape. Um, Like we have the liquor store model now. Great. Um, And so the next move, I really think, is figuring out how do we socially consume and how do we make like a bite sized social experience Mm -hmm. like a drink at the bar out of using cannabis. And I think that that'll be really cool. And I think it'll actually benefit medical uh, usage, um, you know, in the same way that, you know, cigarette taxes, you know, support lung cancer research, you know, like we, we have ways to fund some of these things. So I do, I do have a lot of excitement about that, that change for, um, for Colorado and for all states. Like when I think about Vegas, you know, like if I could just smoke weed in that casino, right. (laughs) I might want to go. I might want to stay in there longer. You know what I mean? Like I don't, yeah, yeah. yeah, Because all I'm trying to do is figure out how to get outside of those complicated buildings so I can smoke. And so being able to, you know, bring that experience around, that's the thing that I think I'm the most excited about going forward because I think everything else will be about standardization and compliance and scale. And, you know, those things are like really cool if you're succeeding at them. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and if you're not, it's, uh, you know, it's the hardest part of the job. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny. It's taken Colorado this long to get to this point. I mean, I always expected right. to see it happen, you know, at least like four years ago or something. Yeah. Um, and there, it's <clears throat> all in all, I've been a little surprised by the, the resistance in not just Colorado, but like Oregon, California and other places, um, right. the resistance to, you know, public consumption. Um, it's just, uh, and it's something that was always going back to the early medical days. It was always this weird thing of like, all right, it's legal. Right. You have nowhere to do it. 
and especially if you're in an apartment or something where you have very little control over your situation and if you have right. a landlord who you know um just doesn't like it then you just basically have nowhere um Right. It's odd to me that this has taken so, so long to finally get some traction. Um, well, and, I- and it's, it's a definition thing, you know? I think that what people really struggled with was, um, you know, and like, I don't, I don't mean to, you know, dilute the value of medical use, but we really did legalize recreational use with a medical name. Most of the products, most of the consumption methods, most of the trends in the industry don't have anything to do with medical efficacy mm-hmm. or ease of use. Because, you know, frankly, like being able to smoke with your homies isn't important if it's medicine, like no one is taking insulin and saying, well, why can't I, (laughs) you know, like have an insulin bar with my bros? Like, you know, it's just not the same, you know, Um, because like, that's, that's not the usage, you know, it really is more of like an all day chronic application, or it's like a, I have a migraine and I'm staying home and I'm not talking to anybody, you know? So like for the, for a lot of the people who really do have a medical application, the public consumption wouldn't have helped them. It was always about access and information and product safety, you know? Um, And for everyone else, it was a better alternative to alcohol. And a lot of the therapeutic value, different than I would say, like straight up medicinal value, yeah, yeah, comes from the social benefit of using cannabis, yeah, instead of alcohol or instead of just your own anxious self, you know, whatever, right. whatever right. your, you know, that that uh, pre-existing condition is. And so I think you know, it's a really, it's a really tough thing to backtrack on for us as an industry to say like. Because what we meant was no one should go to jail. But what we said is, what about cancer patients? And exactly, it's like, that's, let's that's just weird. start with everyone safe and then yeah. work it down to like, here's what you need. Here's what you need. Here's what you need. You know, let the yeah. people who need it the least pay the most to take care of the people who need it the most but can afford the least. And we could balance it all out. But we we started on the low end and it's hard yeah. to build from that, you know. So yeah. it is it makes sense that it took so long. It just is unfortunate because it puts us at odds with our roots you know right oh big time i mean there's i've seen in the past several years there's um and i think we we mentioned this a little bit when we were you know texting on instagram that uh, there's kind of like a weird vibe now around uh, all of the folks that kind of got into the industry around the same time really early you know mm-hmm. in 2010 and 2013 or so right that, that really got in and have kind of ridden all these waves there's a strange kind of angst that has built uh, yeah. now in a lot of these folks I feel it um, where I'm like sitting here watching everything that's happened and I've got really strange mixed feelings about it all um, and there's, there's part of me that's like you know yeah I'm happy access has increased and obviously any step but there's been so much uh, just weird missed opportunities and things like I'm glad you you know kind of distinguish the difference between medical use and therapeutic use a lot of folks would say that's the same but I actually like that subtle difference it's, it's subtle but it's everything think about the things that you use therapeutically 
that you can't call medicine. You know right. what I mean? It's like, like an ice pack. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah. not treating a disease or treating a specific right. condition. Um, well, and then it's not chronic, which is what opens right. you up to this potential for self-medication that's responsible. Yeah. Because self-medicating anything chronically, I would say, is maybe not something that any of us are in a position to decide, you know? Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. there's risks and, and nuance there. And, you know, uh, going back to the, the public consumption thing uh, that ties in with a lot of this, I hope that it drives a public conversation around, like, what is even adult responsible cannabis use? Like, what does that look like? That That conversation you know, it really comes back to a conversation about intoxication. Mm -hmm. And it's been, I think, the standard for us as like, a, at least as an American society, to look at the difference between intoxication and like, high or right. you know like the you know like there's there's kind of like like both are bad but like intoxicated almost has this um implication that it was accidental that like mm. that there was an appropriate amount of it that would have been okay and you just like hard. just went a little too hard yeah whereas like being high almost implies that like at all is mm -hmm. overdoing it right and then you um you look at like the just the substances that we're out there consuming every day and like someone saying that coffee makes them jittery and then they right. drink it anyway. Yeah. Is that high or intoxicated, you know? Um, and if someone takes, uh, you know, like, uh, like if we're looking at alcohol, you know, if someone drinks like hard alcohol out of the bottle yeah. versus someone who has a can of beer 100% of the day, you know what I mean? Like, is just constantly <laughs> right, drinking right. it. It's like, yep. you know, and so we tend to like, look at that same substance and different uses of it, but potentially even the same chemical accumulation and that and the same level of intoxication or highness. And we, you know, we give it these like social um, appropriateness yeah. factors, you know, that, that kind of just are all rooted in like, is the is the activity that you're engaged in social or not? Because that's really, if you look at alcohol and even with the way that's cigarettes okay. originated, what makes it okay is you can do it with other people. Like you can drink a lot and binge drink even if it's with other people and you're fun. But once you do it at home by yourself, or if then it gets asshole. weird. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're an asshole. Right. And so it's like that, that social nicety is a really key component of the social consumption that we haven't really addressed. And I don't think it's because people don't want to be around people that are high. I think it's that we have this pre-existing idea in our mind that because people get, do it by themselves at home, Mm -hmm. that's high and it's not like catching a buzz, you know? So like, since it started out as this sort of solitary at home secretive behavior, it just like got lumped into that category. Whereas like, you know, you can take your painkillers or do all kinds of other okay. interesting um, substances. And if you're, if you're good socially on that mm -hmm. substance, it's kind of allowed. And, yes. and that's, what's so wild is that we're all better when we're high in terms <laughs> of being around other people. It's probably <laughs> 
right. probably slightly better or at least the same for most people you know I generally, very few I generally hate other humans <laughs> a lot less right yeah. yeah and and that's what's so exciting about all of the the psychoactive um changes in regulations lately is that you know it's been easy to brush it off as unimportant to address, you know, social consumption and like how people can get high socially because it's also fairly harmless. So like right. when we just do it anyway, you know, no one's really getting hurt. Might be getting super high, but when we get into psychoactive substances now, like that social contract is more important than ever. And yeah. I think it's going to force us to start really talking about it. Oh, and it's it's funny the as we talk about this, it highlights a funny thing about you know social groups and things that we really only care about someone's substance use if it bothers us, us being right. the the society, the group of people, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a shame because you know obviously there's so, there's so much more there um, around substance use that we need to talk about and think about and and mm -hmm. be aware of. But it's just kind of a, a <laughs> it's like an extension of our egos in that sense. Uh, but on a right. on a group level, it's like, well, as long as that person's not annoying us or bothering us, as long as they're fun to be around, then we don't really right. care how much they're yeah. doing or what they're doing. Yeah, as long as the, the net impact is positive for me, I don't care <laughs> right. what you do. Yeah, um, yeah which is, uh, it's an interesting position to come from because, yeah. you know, when we get into the psychoactive substances, like everything that's, you know, cause I just look at mushrooms and all I think is like, please don't do what we did with weed. Like, yes, please yes, do better. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, please do better. There's so much opportunity and we have so much experience in doing it in many different versions of the wrong way that like, yeah, Oh, yes, we could do yes. such a better job with psychoactive substances if we wanted to. And just the very nature of them forces us to have a conversation that's pretty literal about like a state of consciousness right. and the social contract that's involved in that, because, right. you know, that's, you know, when we're talking about someone going on a trip or someone literally altering their consciousness, you know, in some pretty dramatic ways, it allows us to discuss the extreme in a positive way, mm -hmm. yeah. which makes it so easy to then say, and so, yeah, smoke a joint on the outside <laughs> smoking deck of the baseball stadium. Right. You know, like, right. like, cause it, it's so much easier to come back down to that conversation. Right, exactly. Comparing when we sit up here and discuss like, okay, so how much peyote <laughs> should a person be allowed to possess when they're dispensing it to other people? And we start to have these like crazy conversations about that. It makes it, you know, it kind of yeah, it minimalizes all these exactly. others. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I'd, I'd rather see decriminalization for psychoactive substances yeah. Um, simply because we're not in a position to decide those kind of regulations and restrictions. But um, I think the conversation is really important yeah. because we really don't talk about it much. And what we'll find if we talk about it more is that we need more data. We need yeah. more research. Yeah. And if we need those things, then what we really need is more money. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the that's the thing that the cannabis industry can still do. You know, we can still make money. Yeah. You know, the fact that farms are closing does not mean we're selling less weed. Right. It's just the, the market saturation is being dealt with. Right. Um, exactly.
The Curious About Cannabis podcast is sponsored in part by Green Earth Medicinals. Green Earth Medicinals is focused on producing clinically effective herbal medicine that combine full-spectrum cannabis extracts with other functional botanicals for targeted use in clinical settings. From the field to harvest, processing, extraction, and formulation, they follow strict quality control measures to ensure they create standardized and safe medicine. Now, full disclosure, I used to work with these guys several years back, helping them create their quality management systems. And there's a lot of really good thought that's gone into a lot of the products that Green Earth Medicinals has. And I can say personally, one of the ones that I like a lot is the buckle spray, which I use um, very frequently before speaking engagements and podcast episodes just to ease the nerves a little bit. If you want to check out some of their stuff for yourself, you can visit greenearthmedicinals.com. And if you use code CURIOUS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your entire first order. So that's at greenearthmedicinals.com. Use code CURIOUS and you'll get 25% off your first order. And yeah, thanks so much, Green Earth Medicinals, for supporting our work. Um, I really, really appreciate it. If you or your company would like to sponsor Curious About Cannabis and support our work, Visit CACpodcast.com slash sponsors or contact us to learn more about sponsorship and advertising opportunities that we have available. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together. Visit CACpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds, and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more. Or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS. Yeah, there's been too many players involved, you know, and it's it's the natural evolution of an immature market. Um, sure. But you end up with way too many players and then consolidation happens right. all the time and, and that's where we're at. And yeah, I agree. Psychedelics have to be treated totally differently than the cannabis industry. And if they do get treated the same due to, you know, kind of loose gray area legislative changes that happen in states, it's going to blow up in our faces so fast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yep. because there's such a greater, uh, people don't like to, it's like cannabis I'm talking about risks. I'm already getting right. this of like what kind of feedback I'm going to get, but the risk profile of psychedelics is so much higher than cannabis. When we start talking about, um, I mean, not only how it, it can affect your, your psyche and, you know, your mental health, but when you're going into public, um, you know, all of the different variables that come into play there. I mean, it just is, there's a, is compared to cannabis, there's a humongous difference right. in, um, the potential things that could go wrong. Yeah. I mean, and, there's genuine harm that can be done and, you know, we can't, uh, like, I think we got away with a lot of laziness oh my in our regulations, in our product development, in our, you know, just the development of our industry. I think we have really been able to, you know, get away with not trying as hard as we're capable of, Absolutely. um, because it's just so safe, you know, I mean, 33 people died of unknown vaporizer related illnesses that like collapsed their lungs. And like, we, <laughs> yeah, what has that done for anything? You know, yeah. like there's a few States that don't allow additives, right? There's like two States that say cannabis ingredients only, right? 
And they don't verify that in any of those yeah, states I mean, in any no. way. Yeah. yeah. What would you do? If I know, if I watch the cannabis grow from start to finish, harvest it myself, extract those terpenes and then test it, I can still barely give you yeah. a mass balance report on what's there. Right. You know? Um, and so it, uh, it's a really... It's a really strange, um, you know, kind of position to be in when I look at the cannabis industry to say, like, we are not like we shouldn't we shouldn't check our own work. Someone else should. But we do. We don't we check the work. We write the work. We, We you know, we do all of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that, uh, you know, that like (laughs) accountability factor is really missing. But people don't think it's missing because bad things generally don't happen. Right. You know, like yeah. that lab put out millions of tests for uh, in Michigan um, for like microbial content, total yeast right. and mold, you know. Um, and so the, those are the things that like from the medical perspective, real important. Right. Like I really don't want. Right. Actually, matters. certain, you know, like yeah. like can I not have E. coli on my weed? You know, like I don't know what will happen if it's there, but I also do not want to find out. There's some things that are genuinely important and that's an easy one to just say, like, we all agree. We don't want, you know, this microbial content, but like, you know, so many samples came out of that lab that weren't tested at all and that would have failed potentially. And like, nobody got hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. Except the labs and the businesses and the people who paid money for that testing, you know, so like the consumer was relatively safe. We haven't had to deal with a product liability case. Not in a big, not in a, not in like. That matters. uh, Yeah. It's not like you see where, you know, oh, these, um, you know, batches of lettuce are contaminated with salmonella and there's been hundreds of, you know, food poisonings and several of them. Right. Fatal, you know, like you don't hear that kind of stuff come out of the industry. And we've, you know, even though the industry is still limited to a handful of states, really, in terms of full adult use legalization, there's a lot of data now. I mean, just, just, and, and sometimes the lack of data is data itself, you know, in the sense mm-hmm. of like the lack of um, any sort of thrilling emergency. I mean, the fact that E-Valley got so much attention and, and that really didn't affect that many people. Um, right. And it, and it was corrected fairly quickly. Um, you know, if there were other things lurking, they would be blown up. I mean, right. Um, if, if they're, if it's there to be reported on and blown up, um, it's there. And it's like, you know, several years ago, I used to talk about mycotoxins a lot more. And I was like, Mm -hmm. mycotoxins, there's no data. Well now, you know, California and several other places have been testing on them. And it's like, okay, in general, mycotoxins don't seem to be a big deal in cannabis. Um, they show up sometimes, but now we have the data it doesn't really seem to be worth worrying about that much. That doesn't mean start blasting moldy stuff all the time, but it does show that in general, as the industry is taking care of itself and, and running along, right. that doesn't seem to be a big um, health issue. And so it's once again, going back to like where we are now having like watched, you know, you know, we've basically watched a decade or so of the industry yeah. unfold and have participated in that. And um it's yeah it's just really really interesting to 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 think about where we are and the conversations that we need to start having that we're ready to have now that you know um 
that we're seeing that uh, the main things to worry about cannabis pesticides for sure um metals uh. in uh vape cartridges um but now it's like well we know the manufacturers that make good vape carts so it's like right. don't have much of an excuse anymore if you're a producer um like yeah there are like three main ones that you can use that you'll be fine yeah with. we've we've kind of just uh you know like enough time has passed. Like you said, it's been an actual decade. So now we have this bubble where we need 10 more years to go by Mm -hmm. to find out if there are long-term side effects, because that'll be the next wave. Right. So like what, what we're not seeing are like random occurrences of deadly risks. Um, that would be those short-term crazy, you know, uh, you know, environmental issues, you know, like we're not going out and eating raw broccoli. So we're not dealing with, you know, salmonella risks the way that we might otherwise. Um, And just the testing alone is probably sending a lot of that material to distillation and kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of self-regulating in that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is great. But then, you know, we do have the next category of long-term side effects because when you look at cigarettes, short-term side effects are fantastic. Lose right, weight, exactly. Five L- you know, like Everyone reduce your appetite, them. lowers your stress. I mean, are you kidding? <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. Make new friends. It had such great uh, short-term benefits yeah. um, and people used to not live long-term. Right. So the long-term benefits, you, you know, just looks like being years. old. They just yeah. looks like being 45. Everyone died, you know? Yeah. So now, um, now that'll be the next big bubble, which is where I think we'll start to find out, you know, cause like I, I, like you, I was like, Oh, we don't even test for mycotoxins. So like, what yeah. are we doing testing for fungus? Because mm-hmm. if the fungus is there, all I want to know is if there's a mycotoxin, right? Like the fungus doesn't concern me compared yeah. to the mycotoxin. Um, and so, but similarly, I've never seen a mycotoxin come up on any test of material I've ever run before. Yeah. Um, because I feel like you probably just have to have a, a lot of perfect conditions to, you know, to foster that. And it's, maybe easy enough to avoid yeah right i mean people in general are not going out of their way to find cheap moldy material to well it's kind of like once you know you know you know so then you start looking for it like if you hear that salmonella is on broccoli you just start washing your broccoli right exactly yeah not a big deal now you're fine now you can have salmonella broccoli and just wash it off you know yeah Yeah, exactly so so it helps a lot but um but then that leads, you know, to the next sort of category. And so then I have to start thinking about, you know, cause if there's a long-term health risk, it's going to come from manufacturing. It's going to come from what I'm doing. So now it's the metal accumulation from edibles. Right. Um, now it's terpene combustion. Yes. How much benzene does it take for you to develop cancer that we can trace back to dabs? How like, much of a neurotoxin, to, yeah. you know? What does it take to strip the mucosal linings of your lungs? Um, you know, like how much uh, exposure to high concentrations of terpenes and stuff does it take to right. start to, you know, degrade some of that, which then you would expect to, leave, you know, expect to see um, higher frequency of infection rates and stuff in people that mm-hmm. are, are chronic users. And yeah, I agree. That's that's really going to be interesting stuff to see. And uh, you know, something I, I've mentioned to folks too is, you know, we have a long history of 
interacting with the flower, but interacting with all of the types of uh, products that we have now, you know, it's, right. it's just different. It's just new. We, yeah. we just don't know much. Well, and we, and we keep pushing for bioavailability, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah, yeah. So if we nano emulsify everything, um, if my cannabinoids are more bioavailable is the lead. Right. And, and, uh, and it's like, you know, okay, can, you know, your body seems to tolerate the components of cannabis well in herbal form. And it seems like, you know, you know, people have been exposed to hashish and stuff for, you know, a long period of time. So it's not like we haven't been exposed to concentrates, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it, it does really start to to kind of make you wonder what we're going to see on the other side and actually this this segues into something i wanted to make sure to talk to you about that just popped in my mind i want to say it before i forget sure Um, it's not really i don't it's probably not so much related to a user safety maybe it is i don't know you'll know more about this than i do but i wanted to make sure to talk about medusa stones and everything that has sure circulated yeah. that because people are starting to understand why um their diamonds are coming out sort of chalky and cloudy and that sort of thing mm-hmm. um so totally unrelated to what we've talked about before but i want to make sure to hit this i mean maybe that's so that's, a, that's a thing yeah we don't yeah know. We, we don't know so so that's a that kind of goes back to like the accountability conversation we were having, which is like, you know, we have this uh, this chain of custody with cannabis of like who holds it, but somehow the uh, chain of accountability is not consistent with who's holding it, right? Like if something goes wrong, it's because of who had it last. It's it's not me, right? You know, I like it has to go this. To yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I'm doing a great job and someone else did something. Um, And so when we're just talking about, you know, growing and harvesting and packaging cannabis, that's still potentially 47 touch points, you know, like tons of human interaction, tons of distribution, tons of temperature changes, container changes, like so many things can occur. Um, And, and that's just, if we're going to keep it in the the flower form as we trimmed it, when we get into manufacturing it, touch points, (laughs) my God, people are touching everything so much and yeah they're touching it all yeah and so (laughs) every time that you change jars yeah you introduce right right run it through a tube tighten a gasket um you know like someone following the exact same sop as me but that isn't me is gonna have slightly different outcomes in one area or another even if it's just how much oil they get out of the jar when they scrape it versus how much I do you know I might call 49.9 pounds 50 pounds and someone else might call 51 pounds 50 pounds and that's a huge difference if we're trying to calculate you know certain things some are more important than others and so when we get into the medusa stone um the backstory is essentially that um and as far as i'm aware this started in california um and i started hearing about it about a year and a half ago in california Mm -hmm. yeah and it started right after the benzene issue in california which was primarily in the bay area and kind of traveled north and then eventually a little bit south but what had happened is thankfully california has a lot of testing requirements um but unfortunately those testing requirements uh 
are such that there's this huge like batch requirement and quarantine situation, which forces people to test things when they're completely finished and kind of all at once, which is important to think about because a lot of time passes in between when you make a product and when the final tests for that product to be sold come back to you. Um, and time is everything in the lab because you can do everything so quickly. And so with that, what had happened is a bunch of people ended up with benzene in their product. So that's not good. You know, the, the safe allowable dose for benzene is none, you know, it's, it is can't cancer causing will mess up your like DNA, frankly. I don't know. Like it's not good for you. Um, yeah, and, and, and so, it's very rare to show up on a, on right. a, a and it's, test. Yeah. Right. But it's also a, a tiny weird little hydrocarbon. It's not easy to like put in a jar. It's not oh, right, easy right. to retain. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, volatile, um, you know, not as much as other things that we deal with every day, but it is, it is not trying to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Like it wants, it's, it wants to go somewhere mm-hmm. in almost any condition. Like you really have to give yourself a perfect set of conditions or so much surface tension and so much of it to really have it show up because the, you know, for most analytical testing labs, their lower limit of detectability and the passing quantity are like, Right. They're usually the same. You know, we're talking third, fourth decimal points. Yeah, they are so close that presence is a fail Mm -hmm. in most cases. It's hard to have it show up. However, it's abundant and it's common. You know, it's out there in the world. There's benzene in this room, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's a thing. Um, and so when it started showing up for people, it had this huge financial impact. Um, but it also, you know, had this huge, you know, forensic investigation issue that it posed because there are a couple of places that we know it could show up. And there are a couple of places that we never, ever, ever check. So, for example, nobody does residual solvent testing on their flour. Yeah, right. But if there was benzene being produced as a byproduct of these, you know, terpenes that are being produced by the plant, then like, you know, it's it's absolutely as possible to be there as anywhere else. It's just you can't see it. It's, you know, it's such a small concentration. It's so diluted. It's hard to look at. Um, So we don't really start testing for benzene until we get into concentrates. And once we get into concentrates, and especially if you get into vape pens, if you start to get into flavored things, if you start to get into food, oh my God, there are a million, you know, like your vanilla flavoring, probably benzene, you know, like everything has a little bit of some of it. Um, And so, you know, if you've got like old ethanol that you've recovered a hundred thousand times in your roto turned all the way up running at, you know, 200 degrees, and there was a little bit of terpenes in that that you just recycle yeah. over and over and over, like decarb waste, you know, like there's so yes, many yeah. places where it can come from. Let me tell you, the weird shit in your cold trap when you're out there distilling in the world, <laughs> there is stuff going on and a little bit of back pressure to put that into your product could put it there. So like there's so many places it could come from. But uh, with cannabis, what we like to do is blame somebody else. <laughs> and so everyone blamed the gas. Because butane and propane are tested for benzene prior to distribution. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so everyone in the Bay Area, you know, sort of identified 
because what it was is like, you know, one or two labs had it happen to a significant enough batch that it starts getting talked about. Um, and you know, and so eventually it was sourced back to some batches of solvent that had benzene in them. And so, you know, what'll happen, especially with the solvent being as volatile as it is, it's easier to evaporate butane and propane than benzene. And even though I just said it's, you know, easy to evaporate, they're even easier. And so what would occur, and this is especially true for high volume labs, is that if you have a little bit of benzene Mm -hmm. in all your tanks, that can be accumulative in your system. Um, And if you have one tank with a bunch of benzene and all the rest are clean, that can still accumulate in your system and therefore in your product. And so, um, you know, so there were some instances where people had no test data on their solvent because no one's checking or right. even asking for the COA. Yep. And this is an instrument grade product, which literally, you know, is inherent in the name, but like it's not cleaned <laughs> for human consumption because right. it's intended to be used as fuel. Yes. To be yep. burned. Yeah. And which like into the into up. the world. Yeah, yeah. Into open atmosphere, 70% nitrogen. You know what I mean? Like into, you know, like a totally different um application than the way we use it, which in my opinion puts all of that responsibility mm-hmm. on us and not on the gas manufacturer. No, because I if I wanted research grade, which is verified mm-hmm. to be free of those things, I could buy it. Yep. But I don't. So if I'm going to buy a lower quality, it's on me. You know, it's like if you put the lower quality gas in your high end engine, that's on you. You know that you're taking that risk and most gas will be clean enough and it'll be fine. Some of it won't be. And that's what happened to some of these labs. They got a good deal on a tank from somebody. They got a good deal on a contract. They uh, ordered something in a pinch, wherever it came from, however it happened, they ended up with this benzene. And because they were able to trace it back to the gas, now we have a good scapegoat going forward we used to blame the farmer for everything right you know um because people were like looking at like what is you know is benzene in some of these pesticides probably but instead you know but we found it in gas Uh and so then we moved forward from there so now a little bit of time has passed um you know people are paying attention to coas demanding it from their suppliers The thing is, their suppliers are all distributors. Gas comes from like three major ports in America. (laughs) There's not a whole lot of like, you know, like the differences literally come down to like the trucks it gets transported on, the tanks it gets delivered in. Um, It's not the gas, it's the containers. Container changes matter a lot. And so depending on how many containers container changes occurred, what the condition of those containers was, you know, you end up with all these potential touch points for the gas to become contaminated. And so anytime you're getting something more directly from the source, probably a good sign. And, you know, that was good because it did tighten up kind of the weird people slinging tanks out of the back of a random grocery situation right <laughs> and that's probably for the best yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah because well and that's that's it though is like you have guys really. that like there's plenty of people out there who like sell um like welding supply mm-hmm. gas you know and like they just buy a big tank mm-hmm. and fill tanks in a parking lot somewhere literally yeah, yeah. and don't care and if yeah. you're just burning it maybe that's okay 
you know? Right. I mean, you, you put dirty, dirty gas and through somebody's welder and they're, <laughs> they're going to, they're going to notice it before someone will notice it in their closed loop extractor. I'll tell you that. Oh, like they're paying like attention. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so, you know, like that, that accountability is so important, but for some reason we love to put it on someone else in this industry. And so we put it on the gas suppliers. So now people are paying attention to their gas mm-hmm. and they're worried about these minor contaminants in the gas. And what we discovered in that benzene scare was just like the the fact that gas isn't being tested right like it's being tested for stuff they knew they needed to remove based on dot regulations right and for the ingredient you're paying for you know so like there's sulfur in all butane yeah you know just a little bit comes from the middle of the world you know from from the lava center of the planet you know so we end up with uh you know these trace contaminants and and most of them aren't being tested for um and the only ones that we're gonna see show up on tests are the ones we test for and we're only testing for like this weird short list of solvents based on what we told Uh the state we might use and what the state heard from someone's department of health (laughs) is definitely dangerous you know so we've got these like weird amalgamations of rules based on what we Uh self-report what they you know impose extraneously and you know and then a little bit of like you know this cross industry Mm-hmm. information because when we look at something like ethanol and you know like we've got these food grade versus isopropyl versus methanol like we've got all these real obvious differences and these different grades and it's so much more clearly defined based on its usage but with these compressed gases there just really isn't a lot of usage similar to what we're experiencing and so when the medusa stone phenomenon started picking up traction um what that is in case anyone's yeah so what that is is um someone who is crystallizing thca is recognizing that the crystals are growing in a slightly different formation which is important and that when they remove the supernatant when they remove the liquid from those crystals the crystal structure falls apart and by that i mean it um either grows differently or like physically crumbles and so what will happen is the crystal will like get all um cakey and powdery and crusty on top um or they will start growing like a weird kind of um like almost cauliflowery formation in certain sections that um, people would say is out of nowhere. Um, and, uh, and what it is, is a variation in their SOP, you know? And that variation could be caused by a change in their gas. It could be caused by an accumulation of many factors in their system over time. It could be caused by an individual batch. And, you know, the difficult part of all of this comes down to like the forensic data that we just don't collect right until you proactively yeah right and so then all we get to look at looking backwards is you know the little scraps and pieces that other people put together for us and so the medusa stones um are a problem unlike the benzene scare because this isn't a um you know like toxic contaminant issue 
based on the contaminants we test for. Exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> and the toxicity that's been recommended. Uh, you know, that's not a that's so not a claim I'm making. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, don't don't at me. Um, but uh, so. So it's not a benzene thing. It's not a thing that, you know, like the product's going to fail and I'm going to lose all my money. However, what it is, is not the product that I want to sell because I'm trying to grow a pretty crystal. Yeah. I'm trying to grow a perfect diamond. Um, and, you know, crystal formation and crystal growth and crystallography and, you know, just like that whole category of chemistry is the one category that's the least chemical and math founded, you know, compared to most of the rest of it, because there are so many factors that you'd have to be able to consider and control for at any given time. And so, you know, what chemistry is good at is predicting outcomes based on electromagnetic forces based on polarity based on you know predictable factors um whereas you know the way that i think about you know studying crystals and that crystallization process is that it's more like probability and statistics because you do have almost at any given time two ways that something could go mm -hmm. And then it's just about like, is it more unknown, likely? Unknown you know? controllable variables that you can't right. get hands on. Yeah. And it's not, you know, uncontrollable in theory, right? But it's like the ideal gas law. Like you don't have ideal gas. So like there are hundreds of equations that are like filling textbooks all around this world about ideal gas law that are for what? You know, for nothing. Right. It gives you a you baseline can't, to think yeah, about like, conceptually. You can, yeah. yeah, apply that to your uh, black hole predictions because, like, we, you know, it's not relevant to the barbecue cylinder that's in my backyard. Um, so we end up with, you know, like this, uh, you know, this, this conflict between the theoretical possibility and then, like, the real world, real time experience that we're having in the lab. And yeah. so when I look at the Medusa stone issue, what I love about it as a problem is that there is no single identified compound. <laughs> um, and, and it's been a problem that's been being discussed for a while yeah. um, because it, it happens to anyone who extracts <laughs> for long enough. Yeah. You know, at a high enough volume, um, you know, so it's not super common for, people who are doing like single source and small batches. It's happening to people who have high volume toll processing accounts. It's happening to people who, um, you know, are running, you know, thousands of pounds, uh, you know, like it's happening to these bigger accounts. And what I think is interesting about that is that anything that doesn't happen to those type of processors, we will never hear about. Mm -hmm. yeah. because it's a financial issue right, if right, right. if your small single source farm grows a batch of diamonds that are kind of ugly they just like get over it they don't sell them they whip it into batter they don't think right, about yeah, it right into something else yeah. yeah and and the whip it into batter is an important point too right because if you're not toll processing and promising someone diamonds mm -hmm. then you can just make this different texture and so for a lot of people who are just trying to produce a ton of crystals, you know, the same product that has a Medusa stone in it as a crystal would still have the thing that makes that Medusa stone if they whipped it into batter. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you just wouldn't see it. 
You wouldn't because it wouldn't coagulate in one corner and look at you the way that that Medusa stone does. And so, you know, as this is, you know, kind of being uniquely experienced by all these different labs, um, what's so funny about it is that, you know, everyone has completely different circumstances. So it's not one farm where everyone's getting this material. It's not one region of California. It's not one supplier of gas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not one type of extraction system. It's not one ratio of butane versus propane. Like there's no string that's holding it all together, except in my opinion, the, um, the fact that they're all labs that are basically running every day and have employees. You know, it's not a lot of small businesses. Um, and so, you know, what what we've seen uh, get blamed over the past year or so is, first of all, bad gas. So people just switch out their gas. It would be a, a big... Um... Um, yeah, so finger out. So what's interesting about that is if you take those Medusa stones and you dissolve them in pentane, the contaminant comes out in the supernate and it comes out in the pentane. Interesting. So you would, you should see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, so in my mind, I'm like, well, great. Give me the waste. Let's figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. Because I suspect that it's an accumulation of fats in an area of your crystallization. And those fats could be present in all of your batches and the addition of a solvent makes them coagulate or crash right, out exactly. at a different time. Yeah, yeah. It could be a pH change based on, you know, mm-hmm. some uh like think like a like an enzyme or a protein, you know, like something that degrades once it's oxidized. Um so it could be a pH change that then now illuminates that one section. Um, you know, there could be a bunch of different things contributing to it. Um, but you know, there still hasn't been any analysis on like, if I take that weird white powder, what is it? Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, what's more important is what's in all of that liquid that we removed. Right. Exactly. You know, because when we get the THCA to 99%, there's a, I can go very deep on what's in that other 1%, but like, okay, how about we go and look at all of this other mass that I removed first, you know, and just start knocking some categories off. So, um, so I have heard that there was pentane being stored in cylinders and then they switched cylinders. Um, I have heard about methanol in cylinders, which is interesting um, because methanol is actually uh, like a common solvent um, in propane cylinders. So residual methanol is not disallowed. That to be um, it wouldn't be a contributing factor, but the thing is everyone wants to blame the gas. So they're looking at anything that they can find in a gas tank. Yeah. Um, when I was researching this, I found a really interesting bulletin from the state of Utah, which is not where people are discussing the Medusa stone happening, but, um, <laughs> but the LP gas association there put out a memo that said, um, warning, uh, meth lab, uh, you know, meth manufacturers are using propane tanks to store anhydrous ammonia to disguise it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so then when those propane tanks go back into circulation, yep. you've got anhydrous okay. ammonia. And that's a really interesting one because, you know, in the same way that you were like, well, methanol wouldn't cause this. When you say, and I'm like, anhydrous, what? Like right. so many things are happening in that tank, in that valve, mm-hmm. in, you know, mm-hmm outside of the propane and then i don't even know when you bring propane into that you know like yeah. there's so many things that 
Ooh, very interesting. Um, so, you know, so any of these touch points where there could be an external contaminant is where we want the problem to be. We don't want the problem to be ourselves. Yeah. Right. Um, but ultimately, what's fascinating about it for me is that if it is the gas, Mm-hmm. then you would just drain your system of right. that gas, clean it, and then you'd be fine. Well, I mean, this highlight. And that hasn't worked for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, it's, it, they still end up, you know, having it happen with multiple gas suppliers. So yeah. it does point back to me to, uh, you know, an inconsistency in their SOP. And what I love about it is that you can't self-report it because if you knew, you wouldn't do it. Right. It's a exactly. blind spot that we have, yeah. Yeah. you know? Um, and so if it's like, like we see people running, like their systems are running colder than ever before. So you could be de-waxing in your hoses and right. leaving like a coating of wax inside your hose. Absolutely. And if you only ever put cold gas through it, you'll never clean it out, mm-hmm. which means that eventually a yep. little bit will clog. Yep. And then you put more pressure through and you're just going to like poop a little bit of that wax out into your system. You know, it's um, like, there's so many of those little pieces that like, if we were FDA, you know, pharmaceutical quality manufacturers, they know and assume those types of things will happen. And they impose a lot of cleaning and, you know, standardization requirements on you to prevent that from ever happening. Um, that's exactly what I think about when I hear about all of this and even the, uh, the benzene issue too. And this is a common theme of like every time we get together and talk, but it's right. like, okay, this highlights the importance of quality systems in the lab. It, it highlights the importance of understanding, um, yeah. what's expected from GMP, which would include supplier and supply evaluation, like really critical evaluation and not just like getting a COA from a supplier on your gas and saying, okay, it looks good, but saying like, no, we've actually got to send this gas somewhere else, verify the COA so that we have any reason to believe this piece of paper that someone gave us in the first place. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and that's just like two little pieces that um, particularly could have helped the benzene problem. Right. But but then in relation to this more complicated issue of the Medusa stones, which like you said, there's, I mean, it doesn't take much to interrupt a crystal lattice that's forming. Right. And, and, you know, yeah. If you bump that table. Yeah. I mean, so many things could impact it. If something's able to just wedge itself between these molecules mm-hmm. as they're stacking, then you're going to see exactly what you're describing, where you're you're removing the solvent out, and all of a sudden these solids start to just crumble. Um, and yeah, it, it highlights the type of um, process validation that really needs to occur in these right like it's not good enough that you've been able to do the same thing and get the same product for a while like you've got to understand why you're right getting to your end product and what needs to be controlled throughout the process to ensure that final outcome and like you said we have blind spots and the way that you investigate those blind spots is you have to do your own work to start to um manipulate variables, change cleaning schedules, you know, do all these things. Mm-hmm. Good records, which is another part of right. GD, just the record traceability of what you're doing so you can actually understand. And it's not just kind of like, uh, you know, um, I value like the artisanal aspect um, 
of lab. Right. I love working in labs too, but at a certain point you have to codify, you have to really exactly dial things in, structure them and not take things for granted. Um, and like, right. like, like clean in place is so important um, understanding. And people don't do it. People do yeah, not no, no, clean no. their extractors. They avoid it until, until there's a problem with the batch and then they, they right. get back. And even then they blame the gas. They don't clean their extractors. You no. know, they, they blame the input. You know, people will just drain gas out of a tank and then fill it up with new gas right. and never open it and clean it with soap and water. But it's like, what what makes you think? You've removed it, you know, Um, especially if you haven't identified it and named it. So, you know, people have been looking at it, but all they're coming back with is names of potential molecules that could cause it. There's still not enough proof anywhere that says this batch with that molecule has this occur. This batch without that molecule does not, Um, you know, and at the same time, you've got labs that never experience it at all and labs that experience it often. And so, you know, those people are unable to articulate on both sides Mm -hmm. why people who get the same results every time are not able to prove that they perform the same process at every time. And in fact, I would argue they probably don't. Someone who gets the same outcome every time is probably responding very correctly Yep. in real time to a myriad of variables. And they probably don't even Whereas, think about it. No, exactly. Like someone who's good at distillation doesn't follow the SOP because they'll notice if the temperature is ramping up slower because the oil is a little bit thicker. Mm-hmm. And they'll respond. They'll spin it faster. They'll warm it up a little slower so that they don't start distilling certain compounds before others. Like they'll respond. And in that way, it's not an SOP because they didn't do the same thing every time they followed a protocol, mm-hmm. but you know, but it wasn't um, as simple as the SOPs that people write that say, you know, bring it to 180 and collect that's in a, a receiving flask. That's a, that's a good comment on how shitty most SOPs are because right. if you've got a really good one, it should have enough if then statements. It's that, nothing but if then statements. Right. Yeah, that will, exactly. That will, that will guide you. That will allow the flexibility. But I think what we have in our industry that's very rampant and something that we have like a, me a, a lot recipe. Yeah, exactly. yeah. People are like, I have my book of SOPs. I'm going to sell you, and you're going to be able to distill and and to do butane extraction, all these things. And um, the SOPs, I've seen some of them. Um, and they're super, super simple. And it's like following a kitchen recipe more so Mm -hmm. than explaining how to understand the process and, and what can go wrong and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so I agree with you that, um, those types of SOPs, yeah, don't, don't allow for any of that adaptation. Um, Right. But if well, because what they standardize is your your physical behaviors right. and not the product outcome. Right. We need to make sure you, you act know, like a robot. <laughs> right. And that will lead to the same product. Absolutely right. not. Right. In fact, with how diverse cannabis is, if I do exactly the same thing every time, I will only get different final products. You know, if I want the same thing, I do have to adapt. Sometimes you winterize twice, you know, sometimes you don't winterize at all. And if you don't have the flexibility to like check mm-hmm. and look and evaluate and pivot, um, then you you take away a lot of your ability to like intentionally succeed, um, which yeah. strangely enough does not, 
follow with actually failing or succeeding. Sometimes right. you just get away with it in this game. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes your crystals come out great and sometimes you whip them into batter. And so if this was happening two, three years ago, before the benzene incident, frankly, mm -hmm. if this happened then, um, people would be blaming the material. Yeah. You know, people would be saying this is something that the grows are spraying, you know? Right, exactly. Um, but because we found a problem with gas, now it's going to be gas, you know? And so, like, please, by all means, clean your gas. Take accountability for it. I don't care what Absolutely. that COA says. Yeah. You touch it and put it in your tank. Now you need a new COA that tells me what's in your tank. They told me what's in that tank, kind of. Right. Tell me what's in your tank, you know? And, yeah. and no one does that, um, especially because the only people who can give us those tests are the same people who sold it to us. <laughs> um, but if, if I had that ability, you know, like I have a GCMS in my lab right now, mm -hmm. we can test for 59 terpenes. Like I have a mass spec. I've been waiting my whole career yeah. to be able to just be like, hmm, what is it? Um, and I'll keep waiting. Cause my God, it takes a while. I, I was, I was about to say, like, yeah. the number of questions that I have, like the cool down time in between each one. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, even with all of that technology, I still don't have the ability to really carefully analyze propane because yeah. it's so volatile, you know, like it's, it's still more complicated than what I can do. And I'm trying hard and spending money money yeah. like hundreds of thousands of dollars money on trying to look at those kinds of aromatics and i still can't look at my solvent as carefully as i want to yeah. sucks it's super frustrating um and so i love the idea of paying closer attention to the solvent um but i do really dislike the idea of disregarding our role in it um because it is so important and so for anyone who is experiencing medusa stones the sop to fix it um you know with adaptation as needed is to start over with a clean slate meaning yeah. that like you do clean the entirety of your extractor and not just run ethanol through your system <laughs> no <laughs> and that's the thing like right like run ethanol through it and then run hot water through it you know and then run ethanol again and see yeah. if that changes, you know, like, yeah. like bring multiple solvents into it. You know, if you want to have a great time, uh, cleaning it really like ethanol and then <laughs> ethanol water and then yeah. simple green and then water again, like yeah. you will have the cleanest system. And there's a lot of people out there who would see faster recovery times and faster column drains, yeah. faster yeah. extractions. If they just cleaned their nasty hoses, you know, if they just cleaned all of the piping, you know, like any of that cold metal, hard piping is shaking while the fluid is going through it. And that agitation is crystallizing solids out of the solution because it's freezing cold and those solids are likely fats right you know yep. they're far more likely to be the fats and lipids you know those those chalky heavy things than the thca that's just a little more soluble in your solvent at that temperature um you know and so that like very strict cleaning process does involve like turning off your chiller and letting things thaw out all the way, heating them up. And then after cleaning it, drying it all the way out again. And once you've done all of that, and I mean all of it, every single hose, weird vacuum hose, clean it. Yeah. Every gasket you own, clean it. Every center disc that you've got, clean, like all of it. Um, you know, you've got to physically wipe it down. You've got to, you know, you've got to verify that it's clean and 
you know, if you can drain water out of your solvent tank and then drink it and feel good about it. Yeah. Go ahead and pull that thing under vacuum and add new verified clean gas back to the system Mm -hmm. and try again. Yeah. And while you're at it, write down what day it is, what time it is, and all those weird cleaning things that you did so that you can repeat it or improve upon it next time. And that will fix it until it happens again. You do the thing that caused it the first time. And, you know, and people don't like it when I blame them as the operator, but this is the accountability that I feel we have to have. If a grower grows shitty wheat, If they don't control their environment so they get pests, if they do spray pesticides, if they do hire someone who brings in their own, you know, like powdery mildew issues, if a grower does any of those things, some of them are that grower's direct fault. And some of them are indirectly that grower's fault. But in any case, we blame that grower. The responsibility. They they grew bad weed. And so I strongly believe that as soon as you own that product and you start touching it and you start extracting it it is 100 your fault from that point forward whether you succeed or fail and and sometimes you aren't in control of that and it is still your fault you know the fact that you couldn't be or were not in control is your you know responsibility there the outputs of that lab right and so nobody wants to hear that like they didn't clean well enough and so it'll keep happening but like prove that you did clean well enough Mm-hmm. And we can talk about it. And so, you know, it could be caused by these trace contaminants in the gas. It could be caused by trace contaminants accumulating in your system. It could be caused by something weird that no one is admitting to or talking about. Um, there are so many variables at play. And I love that people are paying attention to them now. I love that, you know, like we do finally have the the type of quality of cannabis concentrates where a physical characteristic can be identifiably useful, you know, like, cause when we were just making like earwax and stuff or even look at distillate, like I can't put that under a microscope and, and figure out what I am dealing with as easily as I could, you know, with like looking at, you know, a bud and seeing intact trichomes or not, you know, um, So like, you know, in terms of identifying quality, it is really cool to be at this like crystalline level where we Mm -hmm. can make extremely pure products. Um, But all it should do is remind everyone that we have always been making products full of Medusa stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like forever. We just never did a good enough job in the past to have a repeatable product outcome like a crystalline THCA diamond. Well, and most so of like, the prior extracts have are highly heterogeneous products in the first place in terms of like right. chemistry. So yeah, you would yeah. never really think about it. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just, yeah, things have gotten to the point now where you're so focused on purity that now right. new qualities are emerging that you got to pay attention to and, and notice. Yeah. And it's fascinating because the people who this happens to, I think would probably tell you that they're not focused on purity. They're the kind of people who would tell you like, it's about that full spectrum and all those other ingredients. But, but at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, out of respect to all of those other ingredients, you're going to have to compromise sometimes on the, on the appearance, on that outcome, you know? And like, that's something that I think the, the rosin community does a better job of where they're just willing to say, like, sometimes it doesn't work out, even if the weed is good. Yeah. 
and we're just going to pay more for when it does because we value those qualities. Yeah. You know, the race to the bottom doesn't serve you if you want diverse inputs and identical outputs. That's hard. You know, it's a, it's a tough problem to solve. It's exciting. Like, I love that right. people are paying attention to it. I love that people care because, you know, like I said, those are, they're generally are the people that, you know, they aren't doing that type of, you know, high intensity chemistry in the first place because they do appreciate the full spectrum value. Um, but it does show up, you know, like I hear people talk about melting down their CBD now and commenting on if it changes colors when they melt it down. And like, these are still people who wouldn't consider themselves chemists, but I'm like, you are so close right. yeah. to like just caring about chemistry and exactly it, yeah. you know it's what like, i mean because like yeah yeah like we're, we're so close yeah. to like the the really fun part of the conversation um and it just sucks that you know it tends to come out in this sort of um you know circular <laughs> blaming scenario where someone has to be at fault in a negative sense right, you know right, um, just uh, let's work together figure this out and move right because i've i've been a proponent all along of like whatever the issue is soap and water will fix it you know and and that's like a, a generalist term but you know the yeah. idea is that if it was weed that caused it or it was gas that caused it clean your system and start over with new weed and new gas and you can move forward and then let's continue to spend so much time and energy figuring out what that weird thing is over here mm -hmm. um but i just i don't see people testing that medu system yeah. you know i haven't had anyone say this is in the thing that's crashing yeah. um they're all looking to a solvent mechanism which you know does make sense because it would affect the crystallization. But um, the idea of like a teeny tiny amount of like a weird amino acid versus like a 45 degree temperature swing between your first run of the day and the last one. Right. You know, like, I don't know, like some of these are more important than others, but only a few of them are being tracked. So it's a, it's a cool thing to watch us kind of like, stumble in these rudimentary ways when we're at the top of our game like the best people the highest volume processors the people with you know the biggest staffs and you know multiple extractors and huge processing contracts that's the people it's happening to and i love that because unless it happens to them yeah we never get any of this data you know that's how it gets funded yeah, no, absolutely. And and how it draws all of that attention. I mean, I feel like a year from right. now, um, we'll probably have a much better understanding of um, the variables influencing that. And I I agree that I if I don't know a ton about this, you know, I'm I do some extraction, but I, that's not the world that I'm heavily involved in. And so, but just thinking about all these variables and chemistry and everything, it does seem mm -hmm. to me that it would be likely that there are multiple things leading yeah. to the same end result. That it's probably. I mean, if you want to think about it in like, you know, because you come from analytical chemistry. So I would say that the extraction that you do in analytical chemistry is the most appropriate for this exact type of problem, right? Hold on, dab real quick. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> but with um with analytical chemistry, like think about sample prep, right? Right. So many solvents are likely acceptable for a given sample prep. Yep. And a given column. 
and, you know, whatever other, you know, factors you're going to consider in your method, but there will be one or two that are the best for that particular sample. That application. And the way that we figure that out is by doing all of the other ones also. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, yep. like you figure out if you want a methanol prep or an isopropyl prep it's or a water prep. Validation. Exactly. Figure out what exactly. And so when I say, and... yeah, so when I say we don't have SOPs, I mean that we have not validated our method because we do have, yep. you know, actions that we take. We have behaviors that are repeated, but we don't have proof that those behaviors lead to those outcomes. Yeah. And so the extraction in the analytical world, you know, if you're, if you're trying to break it down from many compounds to one, you have to start with all of the extraction options yeah. on the many. And then for each one, you extract it again, all those times. Yeah. And you keep doing that until the pattern shows you that with these solvents, these compounds are concentrated. And with these solvents, these compounds are concentrated. And with these solvents, yeah. crazy shit happens destruction happens uh data is lost you know like like there's all these directions that can go and the only way that you ever trust that these ones that worked well actually work well is by having proof of failure yeah you know like we figure out the boiling point by burning it you know what I mean like we have to go beyond it to make right. sure to it is yeah that that was just the boiling so like you have to fail. Yeah. You have to it, fail on purpose. It reminds me of validating um, analytical methods for infused products and edibles and stuff. Cause yeah. back in the day when we were first wrestling with that, it was like, okay, we're going to take this brownie or gummy or whatever and prepare it in all these different ways. And you see your terrible extraction efficiency with certain methods and then you see it get better yep. or worse you know and you're like okay i now know which method is giving me the best extraction efficiency so we're gonna like move towards that direction manipulate more variables do it again in a series try to right. see how we can get that boosted up even more and even more and that's how you start to learn about you know um yeah all of these little kind of tricks that you do in sample prep to get your separations right. the right way and to get the, the cannabinoids to move into a certain fraction of, you know, um, of these liquid, liquid extractions and things. And so, yeah, I can see a lot of um, parallels there. And I, I agree. I think there's a, there's a big validation problem across the board with all cannabis production right. in general. Um, it's like, we've gotten to the point where we've got a lot of, processes that quote-unquote work mm -hmm. it would be nice to see i would love to see a cool um you know peer-reviewed study that just took all of the common methods even even if you just focused on like butane extraction you know there's right. all sorts of setups and different mm -hmm. uh, processes just in in that um system and just compare them just like literally totally. you know that yeah. has that has not been published like there is not right uh, such a i'll tell you what a friend of mine uh, works in the cannabis industry as an extractor, and he also um, produces his own music. And he, uh, it's got Terps. Um, nice. If you guys want to check him out on Spotify, on Instagram. Nice. Um, but he released a song called C4H10. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And like the bridge of this, bridge might not be the correct word. I don't do music, you guys. Uh, but, um, but like it talks about, uh, you know, like the consistencies and like if it's too dark, 
you know, it got too hot, run it, you know, like, uh, and just like all yeah, these different, yeah, yeah. like, you know, like if it looks like this, then it wasn't this and like run it colder, run it faster, keep, you know, like all of these like instructions. Nice. And I'm like, you know what? I think like between TikTok yeah. and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause like the way that you found out that good weed was sticky that was rap. Rap taught me that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No that's true. plant scientist in my life ever explained to me mm-hmm. that trichomes are resin and that resin is sticky. Yeah. If someone would have explained it to me like sap on a tree, I would have understood it much sooner. But instead, I was under the impression that uh, good weed is sticky icky, you know, like that's yeah, the right, that's the right. place yeah. that I sourced yeah. it. And so, you know, we got to meet people where they are. And I think the age of like, uh, you know, what, like when the, the peer reviewed journal really had its impact is when we didn't have the Internet, mm-hmm. you know, so like for data to be written at all, we took a little more seriously mm-hmm. because we respected it as having the impact of truth whether it was or not right like that's the point of peer reviewing it that's the point of fact checking it that's the point of like traditional journalism traditional journalism is gone and you know the new the new method of information transfer is information overload exactly just get um, people as fast as possible right and so it's like almost yeah, the more yeah. citations you have in your paper the less valid it is, you know, it's almost like, like it's too much information because now I have all these points to pick at and pull apart. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I think that there is this like peer reviewed nature of like consumer standards Mm -hmm. that we can establish. And I think it's, you know, maybe pop culture is how we do it. You know, going back to that social consumption thing, I think that maybe that's how we figure out, you know, like what's cool or not, you know, because we do that to ourselves with alcohol, right? We're like, we know that if you're drinking vodka Red Bull, that is a different thing than a glass of Merlot. And we judge each other accordingly, you know, and we like the the social construct is there. And even if you don't understand that it's because that sugar is so dehydrating, which makes Mm -hmm. that alcohol cause more brain damage by volume than the other one, you know, like you don't need to understand all of that. But if you did, um, you know, then then the social niceties, uh, you know, would have come naturally to you. And so it's like, we do have that potential to communicate it. It's just so hard when we, when the people who want it the most um, sound like us, Mm -hmm. you know, because then everyone's like, well, of course you could do all of this, you scientists, you know, and you get (laughs) like, people don't want to associate themselves as the scientists, but like we all are. Yeah. Everybody oh, yeah. cares about science. Everybody does science. Everybody interacts with it. It's the first um, thing I teach in my workshops is yeah. everyone is a scientist and especially kids. Um, and it's a, it's a matter of how you think, not yeah. what profession you have or, or anything right. like that. And I, I, I like the idea of a cultural push for a different type of like peer review, um, mm-hmm. you know, like an industry. And, and there's some groups that have tried to do some stuff like this that have tried to do more, um, more or less like casual research, kind of pop culture focused kind of um, right. quote unquote research that's not going through traditional scientific journals, but it's being treated in a similar fashion, you know, that they're right. 
industry quote unquote experts, which I always hate using mm-hmm. that word, but you know, that are reviewing this stuff and trying to provide input and get that information information distilled. Um, and so I, yeah. I, I think that can take many forms. I love the idea of that form being music um, as a musician myself. I'm like, that's, I, I definitely am going to go check. Out. Yeah. I'm going to send you these songs because you'll love them. He's got a bunch. Um, but I just, I love how low key it is because it's just like a good beat. You know, and if you just like dab, then you'd just be like, yeah, got it too hot, get a cold. Well, like, it's, you're I- just like, of course, this sounds great. You don't have to know the chemistry, but if you yeah. do and you hear that, you're like, this is an SOP. This has more yeah. details in it than most SOPs, you know, it's, well, and you can have that for free. <laughs> I thought about even um, for the podcast, creating a side uh, channel or something. I've wanted to do this for a while because I do it for myself when I'm editing, where I'll take clips from episodes episodes and yeah. then put music behind it and just it it takes on a different quality because you kind of get into this groove while you're listening to people talk and it just kind of hits differently um and it's something yeah. like I'll, I'll pull up lectures from people and then find good like chill hop beats or something on the side and run it changes it completely it completely mm-hmm. changes it yeah so yeah about think about a movie that. like the soundtrack is the entire tone and I think that's the problem right is our tone has you know like when people hear me talk about cleaning their extractor they're like Murphy is yelling at me again again um you know yeah like it doesn't it doesn't sound supportive even though in my heart I'm like I will come help you you know clean this extractor like I I would love to see how much weird stuff comes out of it Mm -hmm. it's gross but it's fascinating like the scientist in me is so about the data that I um that I tend to steamroll the way people feel about it and you know and I forget that there's like this yeah yeah I forget that there's that detachment and that's why I think for the consumer to tell us what they want will probably require art you know will probably require that median of you know like what the their language and their communication you know connection yeah yeah because it's working for food you see that organic produce you see this like hype around a a farmer's market bookstores are coming back people are willing to you know like communicate their you know what's important to them their standards and their morals their ethics and like you know the younger generations um i think are more keenly aware of their power as consumers than we have been in the past because all of us from the legacy market would like buy whatever weed you had right at whatever gas station you You told us to drive to and meet you at like we didn't like oh you're not available till uh 10 45 p.m i guess i will see you then you know like it just didn't you know oh it's 20 dollars more than last time here's my $20. You know, we, we aren't used to having that power. Um, and we are used to apologizing and hiding and protecting ourselves. I think the next generation is going to, um, approach it differently. Like they have with every other, you know, social issue. And I'm, I'm really excited for that because as scientists, like, you know, there's an expert in everything, not everything is of, you know, impact to people. So like, if you don't tell us what to look at, we will look, you know, like once you get out the microscope, like you can miss big things. Right. And so like, we need that direction from people. And I think that, you know, like that's, it'll be more than like peer review. It'll be like, 
um, like the impacted like review, yeah. you know? Yeah. It'll be like, you know, he, cause that's what it does come down to is, you know, like the people who care the most about the environment, um, are criticized by the people who say, well, you don't understand that all of the things we provided for you rely on this. And they're like, well, do it, do it better. Like start over there. You know, <laughs> they're like, they're yeah, like, know you know, well, yeah, yeah. Like, like, cause they, cause they're sitting there saying, no, we're on the, the impacted end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that position, they have all the motivation in the world to start over at the yeah. beginning. Nobody who has already built something is excited to start over. That's why people need pesticides and, you know, spray mm-hmm. fungicides, because if you Keep did just empty your room and clean it every time, yeah, you'd be able to fix it in one round, but no one ever takes down their grow room and completely cleans it. And the people who do can tell you the difference. Yeah, Same thing goes in the lab. And the only reason that anyone's going to require it of each other is if the consumer demands it because we're here and the government is not asking for it. And if they start asking for it tomorrow, you're going to lose even more of us. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, and this- then you'll really only have the corporate midsweed, you know, because it's clean. Yeah, it has more and more of that. They have the money for GMP. Yeah. yeah. Well, and this connects to um, one of the last things I wanted to make sure to talk to you about, because the last time you were on the podcast, I think Hash Fight was just starting yeah. um, as an idea. And mm-hmm. um, so one thing I wanted to ask you, because you've been able to do a couple of projects now through that, that at least that have been publicly available that we've seen. Um, I wanted to find out um, what are some things that you've learned from that experience of doing HashFight and trying to encourage people to step up and examine things and share data, you know, um, and that sort of thing. How's that experience been going? And yeah, what's been your takeaway so far? Um, experience is the right word for it, for sure. Um, so, uh, I'm not involved in hash fight anymore right now. Um, which is, you know, um, I think like the thing I've learned the most about throughout that experience is that, um, you know, business is business uh-huh. and science is so much more fun Yeah, when it isn't business. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, being able to separate those two is, um, is your best case scenario and, and hard to pull off. Um, you know, the, the experience of Hashbite itself, incredible. People want that data. They're obsessed with that data. They don't know how to interpret it. And so it is 100% about delivery. Mm-hmm. Like, if I write a PDF and it is paragraphs of language, no one is reading it. If I close caption over my face saying those exact same words, 10,000 views, you know? Um, so it is 100% about the, you know, the way that we're communicating. And in that case, not even the words. It's just the fact that it's me talking and a little bit of a beat in the background. Mm-hmm. It's everything. It changes it. And so um, what's great is that, like, the consumer does care. People do care a lot. They just don't know when or why they should be concerned. Um, you know, and so like they just kind of associate things as good or bad. And sometimes that's in a general sense and sometimes that's good or bad for them, you know, and it just depends, you know, so you'll hear people say, I only smoke solventless because it's pure. And you'll hear people say, I only smoke solventless because I have asthma and I've had live resin that irritated my asthma. And like, 
both of them are taking the same action for what they understand to be different reasons, but they are actually both the same reason, which is that there's a different terpene profile and a lower ratio of those terpenes overall compared to a more concentrated version and for potentially obvious um but so far unstudied reasons like it makes sense that you know they would have different experience um so being able to bridge the gap between like me saying oh yeah the terpene number is completely different and the other volatiles are completely different and them saying hurts my throat a little bit when i dab yeah is huge um and what's even more important is that when they say it hurts my throat a little bit when I dab, none of that means that the solvent extraction method is responsible mm-hmm. for their throat hurting. Yeah. That's all still about the terpene concentration, you know? And so the exciting part of hash fight is like, we have both problems, you know, we have, how do we make a product better? How do we make it more economical? Um, and then we have, uh, how does that impact the people who consume it, you know, and, or does it right. And so what I loved about, you know, some of these experiments is that like, people will tell you what they want. So when I go into it, I'm thinking, I want to compare two pieces of equipment that are really similar because those differences would be exciting to me. Right. And everyone else is like, "Mm, shiny metal is shiny metal. (laughs) They want to see a bicycle race a car. They don't want to see two cars race each other because they're like, yeah, it's a race car. It's fast. Right. (laughs) You know, like that's not impressive to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'm up there like, ooh, get my caliper. Like, let's figure out what's going on here, you know? Um, And so, you know, for the consumer to just like remind us constantly that like, no, how does, why do I care? (laughs) You know, like, oh, you think this about this. Why do I care? Um, and I, I love that because they don't treat like a dispensary Instagram page that way. You know, they don't treat like, like there's all these cannabis education companies out there, you know, um, and you kind of end up, I'm sure you probably experienced this even with your own Instagram where like the people who interact with you the most know what you're talking about. Yeah. So like. That's great. Appreciate, love the support, but like, I'm trying to teach somebody and you already know. So like, can you tell someone, like, how do we get this further out? Right. You end up in an echo chamber. Yeah. And then you can't break that wall. What I've, what I've run into that I've struggled to navigate lately is sometimes people that are very knowledgeable are attracted to my stuff, which is great, but then they want to have debates on tiny details uh, kind of mm-hmm. like what you're what you're talking about that I actually do find very interesting and I want to have those conversations and debates, but those conversations are not at a level that most other people watching the conversation happen that they're ready for or can mm-hmm. really contextualize. Right. And, and the biggest one that has been so hilarious and frustrating at the same time is this debate that happened on my Instagram recently. Um, I woke up and had 76 missed messages or comments, and it was a whole debate thread about whether to use the word strain, cultivar, or cultivar. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's like, that's a film. Like, y'all learned about Brax, like, two months ago, okay? So, like, well, talk out, everybody. Yeah. Well, and it's, the, the folks talking on there, they were very knowledgeable and had a lot of understanding about how the nomenclature of cultivated plants works and everything like that. But it's like, 
these posts are not really designed for that audience. Um, right. It's more designed for like the layperson who's never even thought about this before at all and to get those gears turning. Yeah. And so when we start to, when you start to have a debate over the very technical definitions of these terms by different institutions versus mm-hmm. broad philosophical understandings of how these words are used, people just get lost and their eyes glaze right. or they go the wrong direction and like misinterpret things. And um, yes, and what they want to say to you is, why do I care? Why do I care if it's a strain or not? Right. And they're not going to interrupt these smart people saying that, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, like there's no place for me to say, okay, but do I get high differently if the (laughs) strain slash cultivar slash chemotype slash terpene content is different? And those same smart people will, like you just said, they'll say, I don't know. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, now what was this for? I could have just watched a funny dog video, you know, and right. like yeah, been way less hours. stressed out. Like now I need weed because I don't <laughs> understand what just happened. So, you know, that that consumer doesn't usually have a forum to ask those the the real question that they have. You know, like we all sit there and say, like, ask us questions. But if people are afraid that their question is dumb. Or if they have never been given a context where that question would have the right words, you know, um, then it gets really hard, you know, like if you just have a word that's difficult to pronounce, people are going to do everything they can to not use it, you know? Um, and so we, we really shut people out and that's where I do think there is something to the, like the spoken word, the music, the art aspect of it. We've got to let people bring it to us nerds in not a graph, not a citation, not a number. Um, we will convert it we can't help it, but I'll do that. If you paint a picture of a rainbow, I'm already sitting there thinking like magenta versus, you know, like, I'm like, I'm just categorizing. And so I don't need to put that burden on other people. Give it to me the way that you've got it. And I'll, I would love to pick it apart and figure out what you mean. And that, that I think has been the best part of those experiments is that like people really, when you get high together, when you smoke the product with them, mm-hmm it uh it allows them to ask those you know those real like impact questions about like why do i care about the outcome of this experiment because the reason i'm doing it is for them Mm -hmm. but it's not you know because that's me parenting them that's me Mm -hmm. saying i know what's better for you than you and that's not true you know what i need to be able to do is say here are data points that do matter a lot mm-hmm. and make your choice, um, you know, and, and meet them there. You know, it's, it's just as much my responsibility to make sure people understand as it is to put the data out, you know, like my responsibility doesn't end by a post. Um, and it also isn't easy to, to have in a comment section, no, exactly. you know, so I've, I've even considered turning comments off because it's right. Um, I've found that almost always there's not a productive element to the dialogue that happens in the comments. Like sometimes people right. make interesting points, but it almost always derails into, you know, even when people are, are fighting for their points, there's 
these subtle jabs that start to come in. It like starts mm-hmm. off like soft or they're you know, little comments that are disrespectful and everything. And then it starts right. to snowball and you're like, none of this was helpful at all to anyone that is new trying to understand these concepts. And right. I don't I like that our conversation today has started to like really circle around this idea of communication um, mm-hmm. and how to find out what consumers are wanting to understand when they can't ask the questions themselves, whether they don't know the question or they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Cause I think social media does present that problem where, okay, you ask a question, but someone's going to come around and call you an idiot for asking that question. Right. And I can't right. stop them. You know, if I see it, I can delete a comment, but the impact is already made or that person feels shut down. And- right. And more importantly, the 10 people who saw that happen that now won't ask an even better yes. question. Right. You exactly. know, like it's a, it's real it's a huge problem with the echo chamber like like you just end up uh you know like in microscope land where you're just yeah. looking at like this one little piece yeah. um and you know the fact is like none of us in those comment threads are the ones supporting your brand right. none of us are the ones that are paying full price at the store for those grams none of us are the ones that are working the average minimum salary wage you know as a bud tender you know like we are just not that demographic and we're ignoring them yeah no i i agree it's not on purpose we stand around and say we're here for you come and ask me questions we're just terrifying you know we're or rude you know it's yeah it's just the yeah i mean it's it's something i i try to figure out because like workshops are nice because then you've got people in front of you in a smaller Mm -hmm. intimate group setting and they tend to communicate more but then that's hard because then you've got to actually get people into that setting and i've played around with like free webinars and stuff but then that backfires in a certain way um and so it's it's tricky to figure out how to create you know sort of the the safe space for people to Mm -hmm. ask questions and explore ideas I, i have an idea though I have an idea. This is my suggestion um, for everyone is that if you make cannabis products, you should consume them with the people you sell them to. Mm. Like every other industry spends most of their budget on marketing and focus groups, like as much as they spend on manufacturing. Yeah. We don't, and we haven't supported an infrastructure that really creates it. But I'll tell you what, if you have to stand there and give dabs to people who don't like you or your product, you will learn everything you need to know in the, in the way that they cough, in the way that they don't come back for another one and the way they tell their friend, they didn't like it. You will see exactly why your sales are down in five seconds you know like you there is no better source to get that information than by directly consuming with people and in an environment where we're all smoking a little bit of weed i think it's possible that we could like you know leave a little bit of the ego aside and be a little bit less confrontational in those questions because um asking stupid questions while high it's totally allowed. Everyone knows right, that. Right. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what, a really you good know? point. I think. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, it just it's like okay, if the question comes out completely ridiculous, everyone just. You- you're just like, oh, I'm high. Whoops. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Exactly. So it, it allows no a safe space. Yeah, I think that the social consumption is like the next best tool and, you know, research 
uh, area that we've got because, you know, what we have done is smoke weed by ourselves, grow weed by ourselves, extract weed by ourselves, you know, like, yeah, hide it (laughs) from everyone, Uh, you know, like wrap it in a hundred layers of plastic, you know, and ship it as far away from yourself as you can before you get paid for it. And so like, if we, you know, when people talk about being single source, you know, when we think about the food, uh, you know, cycle of like going farm to table, um, you know, it's easy to apply that to a grower, but like if you're manufacturing goods and you're not out there seeing what it looks like when people consume them, you are missing a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, and whether that is a piece that you need to react to on the manufacturing side to produce it differently or make it differently, or if it's just telling you that you've been marketing it to the wrong audience. Right. Right. Yeah. Like get that data, get it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and don't just rely on like contracted salespeople to tell you that stuff too. Um, right. That's another trap that companies fall into is they're like, well, I have my sales team that goes out and is managing accounts and blah, blah, blah. But no one will care more than you if, if you're, you know, right behind that product if you're mm-hmm. you own the company or you run the lab you're right the or whatever no one's going to care more than you exactly um, and no one has a, a more honest opinion than someone who paid full price yes you know so like that's who i want to hear from you know yeah. not the person who got it for free and yeah. said yeah it's yeah. great because right. what am I going to say? It was free, it was free. you know? Yeah. yeah. It worked. Like, you know, <laughs> in terms of value, good enough, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, I think that that, I think that that is really uh, the next big, big change for everybody in the way that we collect data, in the way that we use it, in the type of data that we start to pay attention to, you know, I mean, we could have a better vape cart delivery mechanism that doesn't inherently include heavy metals if we wanted it. Um, but when I say we, I don't mean you, Jason and me, Murphy. I mean, all of the people who are like, like in the span of this interview, Mm -hmm. there's probably been like, you know, a hundred thousand vape cartridges sold in America. And, um, those people need to want it. Right. You know, and if they don't, it's tricky. What you and I say does not matter. Not going to happen. You know? Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, now that I've moved back across the country from Oregon, I have a lot of friends that have shown me um, different cartridges and things that they've gotten from God knows where. Mm -hmm. And um, it is unsettling to see um, what's accepted in places that have not... um, chosen to regulate cannabis in much any way at all um, because consumers in these areas are uh, still in that that sort of mindset of I'm happy with what I can get and Mm -hmm. they don't know that what is being given to them is potentially extremely dangerous I mean some of the things that I've seen in um, in vape pens in the southeast I'm like Mm, it looks like stuff I might would have seen like seven years ago that you know is well established that we should not be ingesting Uh, right or it's stuff that it's like I'm pretty sure this might have vitamin E in it or something because like I found a recipe online for vitamin uh E acetate vape pens that someone wrote in good faith and was like this is a great diluent 
Right. It's food safe. Right. And you can have flavors. <laughs> it'll, it'll taste good. Yeah. It won't cough. It'll be fine. And, you know, once I explain yeah. to people, once I'm like right. sitting in a session with somebody, I'm like, you know, the reason you're not coughing is because stuff is like. Because you're not bleeding either. Yeah. yeah. It's actually, um, it's degenerative. You're going to stop coughing forever one day. Yeah. It's not good. Uh, but, you know, that's where like the consumer does care, but doesn't know how to ask. And we, we can get to them. Um, if we, instead of trying to get to them, um, like, you know, go to them, well, and that's you know what I mean? My point is like the, the most, cause all of my friends that know me in the Southeast, like they've known about my work in the cannabis industry for a long time. They don't know. A lot of them are not so dialed in exactly what I've been doing, but they're, you know, they know that I'm a resource there that they could come to at any time. Yeah. But these issues never came up until I sat down with them and, right. and they're like, Hey, check this out. And yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of weight to, to that of trying to meet the consumer where they're at. And I love that our conversation just came around completely full circle. Um, yeah. It's, these are important points. And like I said in the beginning, those of us that have kind of been in this industry for a while and have watched so much transpire, I mean, this is kind of where my head's at now is I'm like, how a lot of the simple stuff has been figured out. Yep. How, how do we reach people and get them to care, get them to engage from my own perspective with curious about cannabis? You know, I'm thinking about now that I've gotten through my move and I've got a lot more bandwidth now, I'm like, how can I change what I'm doing to actually click with people better? Because there's an obvious um, gap that I've recognized. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm in the process over the next several months, like totally changing how curious about cannabis is structured because I'm like, I've got to do something different because I'm mostly reaching people that are already scientists that mm -hmm. find what I'm talking about as interesting that they want to listen to. Yeah. Stuff. But I'm like, it's just people trying to make friends. Just, you know, we're just in your classes to network. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. like, that's not actually going to like. Right. help very many people and then when i yeah those people aren't curious about cannabis they're passionate no, about exactly. cannabis the curious people are like uh you know afraid to type it in google still a little yes, bit yes, you know what i are, mean like the are, curious yeah. people like drive past dispensaries every day yes and are like and like wouldn't know what to do when they walk in and there's two doors and they'd be like oh whoops i'm going to subway you know like right. they just you know and like the those only time the curious people we gotta catch and the only time that i seem to catch them is when i'm in front of them and yes so yeah it's an it's an interesting challenge put forth to those of us that are trying to educate um yeah we've got expertise we've got a lot to share and a lot of ways to help people mm -hmm. but, um yeah we have to find better ways to, to connect with the people that can most benefit from all of all of that knowledge and experience um and yeah still have a long way to go you know and some of that's law related to um in terms of 
in some states it's a lot easier to get in front of people and be you know handling products and you know mm -hmm. more interactive in that way and others you can only talk kind of hypothetically and you know right. there's still some of those constraints but um i think there's a lot of opportunity um i also am not surprised to hear you say about about hash fight that the separation between science and business is important because i <laughs> i have run into my own experiences uh in that yeah. way and um yeah, it's can be very challenging to mix those two, and a lot of people are not ready for that. Yeah, it, it's, you know, what I love about science is the fact that, like, you know, kind of engaging in it um, is an agreement between all parties to respect yes. verifiable data, mm -hmm. you know, even when we hate each other. Right. Like, we're like, okay, but four is four. Right. We can at least, you know, that. and like, like we have, yeah, like there is always, you know, something that, you know, brings us together in it. Um, you know, and that's, uh, that's the part that I am just still like a thousand percent head first on, you know, is like, you know, in, in spite of how difficult it can be in the cannabis industry to, um, get people to care about the things you care about, let alone, you know, fund, um, or participate in, or even support the things you care about. Um, you know, there is just still so much opportunity, yeah. you know, and a lot of it I think is easier than we've allowed ourselves to believe because we're used to asking for the right to smoke for the right to access right, right. it. We're used to asking, uh, for the right to not go to jail, right for it and so we feel like we have gotten a lot of what we wanted um, but that's because what we wanted was pedestrian you know in the year mm -hmm. of 2022 we can have so much more than that um yeah. you know if we just uh just start you know saying that we want more than that and communicating it and finding the people you know who who agree with us and and there's always a, a creative solution forward I think for that and with cannabis I think it is pretty exciting that even though there are states without the legalization yet um I do still believe that the social consumption is the key to those areas mm -hmm. because yeah, the only reason that a state hasn't legalized it yet today in 2022 is because the people who support it are afraid that their friends will find out. And yep. if we can yep. get rid of that, the stigma, yeah. the same number of people support it everywhere. The same number of people are smoking weed everywhere. The same number of people could be smoking weed if it was legalized where they're at. Um, you know, the market isn't actually different in a lot of those different areas. They just care a lot more about what their neighbors think. Yes. And they haven't been told that it's they're allowed to get high yet. You know, yeah, they haven't yeah. been told that it's a it's something that they can do. It's not um, socially acceptable. You know, yeah. Political suicide to do. Right. Yeah. That it's safe, that it's fun, that it's an alternative. You know, um, I, I feel like that basic message we got really far away from when we complicated and purified and tested and regulated cannabis. Um, and it's a fun thing to come back to, um, you know, especially to come back to it in the spirit of recreational because yeah. medical cannabis is so important and it is capable of so much because natural product medicine is capable of yeah. so much. Um, but that is also a really hard place to exist all the time. Only dealing with chronic cancer patients was the hardest part of 
-hmm. you know, any part of my cannabis career, you know, like my first patients were the, you know, the medical patients and like that impact is everlasting. And I don't know that I'd be able to do that every day, the way that I can like Mm -hmm. introduce someone to how to dab at a lower temperature. And suddenly now you have someone who can enjoy cannabis concentrates, you know, like I, I love that kind of impact, um, for my own mental health, you know, um, and it keeps me motivated to go backwards to the medical and say like, you know, here's all these problems we can solve. I think there's so much still out there in just like Mm -hmm. the people who haven't smoked weed yet that are going to bring up some real obvious questions. Right. They're like, well, that we have not thought about about yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's, I tell my students in workshops, I'm like, you know, obviously the workshops are, we're exploring all these ideas and everything, but I'm like the dialogue that you bring to this um, is so valuable to everyone, including me as the educator, because the mm-hmm. questions you ask are going to help me see everything that I see all the time through a slightly different perspective. And I need that. I need right. to be able to, you know, put different hats on and understand how people are, are viewing all these things. And then it makes other questions more obvious once I right. can, can dial into that. Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm explaining it wrong. And the only right, way right. that I find that out is when someone asks me a question that yeah. demonstrates that they don't understand. And that's not them being dumb. That's no. me being dumb and explaining it's, it poorly the first time. Right. And like, what a great thing to get past Giving that. An opportunity to you know? find yeah. and say, okay, there's a different way I can probably say this. That's more in line. Right. I'm actually trying to get into your head. Yeah. Yeah. That, that yeah. communication part is real. We don't need to keep talking at people mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, you know, I don't think that like more labels on the packaging is, you know, really making a big difference for anybody in terms of their health and safety. I <laughs> yeah. think that the five minutes that they spend talking to a bud tender has probably even even less impact than we think it does because that's a retail transaction. And I'll tell you what, if I was in a line waiting and now I'm waiting, like I'm not asking about mortgage rates in line at the bank. If no one's there and it's the middle of the day and I see a sign, I might bring it up. But like Friday afternoon, absolutely yeah. not. I am not that person. Yeah. So same thing with cannabis. You know, like we we keep trying to focus on these touch points that we have a lot of control over, like the package, like the bud tender, like the dispensary, like the signage. But really, I think what we got to do is we got to smoke weed with people. We got to let them use that product and tell us about it. And, you know, be very, uh, very literal in their experience. It's the, the thing we've left out of all of it. You know, it's been all about uh, when we touched it and where we put it and how we packaged it. And we just completely ignore the fact that, like, it's still hard to buy a bong. You know, it's still weird. You know what I mean? Like weird stuff mm-hmm. is going on out there uh, that, you know, we, we don't always have to address. A lot of people still feel like, um, you know, like doing dabs is like, you know, doing some hard drug or something because of right. the, just the aesthetics of it if they're not um, yeah and if they complained the more i promise you we'd have a better device right immediately mm-hmm. but because uh they just don't buy dabs we don't get to have cooler dabbing devices yeah okay i don't want to use a weird torch either this is inconvenient for me i would love something <laughs> right. that's easier to do yeah you know but um but yeah people are going to get what they ask for and we just got to give them that opportunity to ask us for you know better stuff yeah because right now they just know how to ask for a discount 
Yeah, it's yeah. about as much as they're willing to, to negotiate. And so yeah, we can change that. I'm well, excited for that. Like you said, just getting them in the door sometimes is a, is a huge um, win, um, considering all of the stigma that's still floating around out there. And I, I do right. think that those of us that, I mean, I don't live in Oregon anymore, but I spent 10 years there. Um, all of us that have grown up on the West Coast and Colorado um, in these markets, I think we... Uh, very much underestimate how how impactful that stigma still is um, right. all over because um, mm-hmm. we just get desensitized to it. Um, and I think it's hard for us to imagine what it's like to be a new consumer today, like you mentioned, um, compared to, you know, when we started consuming, when none of this existed. Um, right. And so it is, we have to recognize, we have to be humble and recognize our own deficiencies. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's not good or bad. It's just like one of these things, like you just can't, the only way you're going to get into that mindset is by talking right. and interacting with those people um, because it's going to be impossible for you to do so otherwise because that's not the situation you came into. It's not mm-hmm. the situation, you know, um, it's not where your head's at now. So, um, yeah, I totally dig all of that. I'm about to check and see where our time's at because I totally lost track. Um, yes, it's gone way longer than I can. Oh, no worries. I haven't, I haven't done a long episode in a while, so this is nice. I've been I always long. talk for too long, I think, but I, uh, <laughs> I have really, really good points. I mean, we've covered a lot from... Um, you know, talking about uh, public consumption and and how that leads to questions that we're going to ask and how that public consumption piece can assist the communication piece and the understanding input right. there um, so that producers can do a better job, so that dispensaries can do a better job, so that scientists can do a better job communicating. Um, you know, these are, these are all critically important topics. So I'm glad that we, that we covered them all. Um, and I hope that everyone listening has, has found this valuable. I hope that everyone listening is enjoying, um, another long format podcast because it really has been probably a year since I've done an episode that goes over an hour. I used to do them all the time when we first started out, uh, to our our podcast would be pretty common three hours even. Um, Right. Yeah, I'm talking to someone about starting my own podcast, and he says, you're going to want it to be at least 30, 45 minutes. I was like, I don't know how you're going to edit it down to that. You know, I can't do an Instagram live that's shorter than 30 minutes, you know, like, I I don't know how. I can't can't do the, like, you know, just basic uh, Instagram stories. I try to, like, start talking, and I'm like, oh, no, this has turned into, like, 10 little, you know, chunks that I don't know if anyone's going to actually sit through. Yeah. I, I need my verbal words to have like hyperlinks so that you can like <laughs> reference what I like. By the way, I, this, if this, because of this, you know, there's too much nuance, but it's, it's really fun. I think like the podcast format is uh, a huge help in this industry. I see it in the mycology world yeah. as well right now that like the long form conversation is coming around, you know? And I think that, you know, we do still end up with the same echo chamber potential issues, but um, it shows me that like, you know, there is this big gap between people who just need a little bit of information mm-hmm. yeah, and people who, when they care, want all of it, yeah. you know? And, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm great with it. Whichever piece you need, I've got a, you know, an Instagram or a curious about cannabis episode to, right. <laughs> to get I you mean, through it. You know, that's how I feel about it. I'm like between the podcasts and everything else, the discord the books, I mean, geez, 
that's that's kind of how I've been tackling it. Is like there's got to be some medium here, <laughs> right? Going to resonate with, um, and the podcast, you know, for me as a listener, um, which granted, since I've been making podcasts, my listening to other podcasts has gone way down because I like have no time. Um, but when I used to listen to podcasts all the time, it's a sense of like being in the room, sitting at the table, you know, yeah. um, being in the conversation, being that that silent other that's sitting there, you know, right. Listening to folks talk about stuff they're passionate about and absorbing what you can um, out of that. Yeah, it's like a it's like an automated Google search for me when I hear a good conversation mm-hmm. because as soon as someone says something, I'm thinking about the questions I have about that. And then the next person asks them and I'm like, Ooh, now we're going, you know, and then like (laughs) someone, you know, and then someone asks a question and I'm like, Oh, I misunderstood that other thing. And I figure that out based on their question. And I just wouldn't get that. If it's just a reading alone. Yeah, exactly. I'm never going to get that from a PDF the way I can get it from a dialogue, um, which is just so valuable, especially, you know, when I'm thinking about things that I don't understand at all. You know, when we're talking about even just hearing people pronounce some of these words out loud. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for doing a podcast and saying that word. Right. Probably practicing it beforehand because there's, <laughs> I still can't, you know what I mean? Yeah, like we're, I'm yeah. still working on it, but I love it. I do. I do love this medium for it. And I think that, you know, the way that we, you know, we get the other 90% of people is, is definitely probably in those little one-on-one snippets, you know, yeah. yep. a passing joint at a, you know, outdoor barbecue and just like one at a time. Yeah. Pick them off. Yeah. It spreads. <laughs> it, it trickles out. It cascades. Yep. Well, I'm excited to see if you, um, if you do put together a podcast, I think that would be, um, uh, a really fun one, especially if you do not make it 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I mean, I know there's a whole world of podcast listeners out there that love that, but, um, I definitely think, I don't know, personally having done any, you know, this is like what our third episode and we've done workshops together and stuff, knowing you the bit that I do, I would want to hear more of a long form. Uh, yeah. Although I could see, um, depending on the, the topics that you hit and if you have someone to edit for you, cause you can get, right. It would be the editor. Yeah. yeah. Someone have, would have to have, have to cut me up and shut me up or else yeah. it would not be short. Yeah. <laughs> they made like little summary, uh, sort of reels that yep. entice people. That's something I wish I had the time and energy to do is to take every episode and make like a five minute, three, minute, get the pieces, just like yeah. pieces there. So that people have mm-hmm. a sense of what's in the conversation. Um, I think, yeah, something like that would be extremely valuable. Um, and, and that's, you know, how I wanted to close out. I wanted to ask what's on your horizons and, and kind of what you're, um, kind of leaning into going forward. And I mean, I've, I've been leaning hard into analytics, um, especially since we last spoke, you know, I mean, I've got, I've got, uh, an HPLC and a GCMS, uh, in the lab. So we're testing for potency, for terpenes, for solvents, for, um, you know, just like whatever, uh, I'm patient enough, uh, to prep and, and, you know, and wait on, um, and, and that's been fantastic and extremely distracting. (laughs) because it just comes with so many questions. And so um, my next couple of projects are still all around analytics. And some of that is, um, you know, like standardizing product formulation on vape pens Mm -hmm. so that even with 
the cannabis derived terpenes, we can get a pretty well mirrored yeah. profile, um, you know, on, on all of these outgoing batches. Um, some of that is like research projects to demonstrate the value of live resin over like a distillate plus terpene profile. And that just yeah. comes in looking at other categories. So there's a lot of that that I'm really um, paying close attention to with like Sano Gardens and with the live resin, you know, products yeah. that we're making because, um, you know, making hashes is the day job you know that's that's the stuff that i love but then separately i've got another hplc coming um so that i can start playing with mushrooms um because swapping columns uh is so much more than yep. those two words and no thank you yep. so yes. um <laughs> so uh that'll be a second hplc it turns out uh just, there's no other way to justify it um and so uh you know i've been extracting reishi mushrooms i've been extracting cordyceps i've been uh. Extracting a whole bunch of functional a, mushrooms. I just found a huge batch of golden reishi mushrooms in my yard here. Oh, wow. Uh, That's a good find. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get set up here at my house to be able to do some um, some mushroom testing. I've got to try to... My HPLC is falling apart. I really just need to get a new one. But um, yeah, I'm really excited about that because once we moved to the Southeast and uh, that was something right. I missed uh, when I moved to Oregon, I was like, gosh, being in the desert, like yeah there are mushrooms in oregon and there's a huge mushroom right country, but in mississippi mushrooms are far more abundant yeah and it's uh it's everywhere totally yeah, yeah i'm in colorado so we get like three weekends a year maybe right. you know i got right. nothing yeah. um so yeah no and that that stuff has been fascinating for me in part because i do see a lot of parallels with the cannabis industry and it's exciting mm -hmm. like i do feel really rejuvenated by like seeing you know like i've been to a couple of like the the rallies for like getting it on the ballot and stuff and i'm like i remember feeling this way yeah. about cannabis like i remember seeing you know, regulations change and, and like be, being like, I did this, you know, like I, right. I remember, you know, being a part of that. And I, it, it is, you know, a very humbling um, reminder that like, we have so much work to do. Um, but then from the science perspective, ooh, we don't know nothing about mushrooms oh, no. uh, yeah. and they are fascinating. And so, um, so, you know, that, that analytical, um, you know, kind of, side project is just full blown now because you know what what i'm looking at making live resin now it's very much about um making it consistent you know mm -hmm. and making it um you know scale up and be the same and right. when i get to play with mushrooms i'm like mm -hmm, everything is different the, uh, <laughs> uh yeah, yeah like i'm a bit you know weird stuff comes out some yes, of it's cool yeah. some of it's not you know i've got this reishi extract that um the aromatic uh, portion of it smells like chocolate like straight up cocoa chocolate and it's like my favorite thing ever because you know i i smell cannabis terpenes all day and like right. my job is Such great a, right like different... people would love it yeah but um but i take it for granted until i get to go and you know make something different you know uh so it's been really fun um to play with all that and so that's what i think i'm going to kind of try to focus on um with this podcast idea is just running these tests at home to just see what we can see you know just yeah. find out what's in there because um you know when you don't have the the regulatory requirement mm -hmm. to check right um, you know, when you, when you don't like, if business is bad for science, government is not better. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so it's just science for the sake of, uh, podcasting instead of government or business, uh, I hope, you know, um, so we, I just want to look at this stuff and pay attention to it because, 
I, uh, I think it's really fascinating. I think it's really similar to what I've done in cannabis. And, um, and frankly, the people in the world of mycology, way cooler, <laughs> way cooler. Uh, that's, that's the world <laughs> I came from before um, really getting into botany. Um, originally, yeah. I was, you know, when I was still in Mississippi, I was primarily studying, um, you know, mushrooms and, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. I'm sure some people will disagree, but I agree with you that in general, the mushroom community is a little more chill um, mm-hmm. and very interested in understanding um, a lot of, of what's going on. And um, I don't know, it's, it's funny to hear you say all this because that's kind of where my head's at too. I'm in this process of really, I, I love everything that I've done with cannabis and I still love teaching about cannabis and stuff, but it's more like, how do I take these core fundamental understandings that have gained from working with this plant and they apply that to other plants and mm-hmm. mushrooms and things and start to ask similar questions that we would ask of cannabis, but ask them about these other natural products and mm-hmm. what we can do with them and, you know, in right. creative ways. Like if cannabis is this amazing, right. imagine right. Actually, what these other plants are doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, wow. Hold on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I love, uh, I just love the newness of it. You know, it just gives me so much perspective. You know, when I look at the Medusa stone issue, um, it's fascinating to me because I'm trying to grow psilocybin crystals and I have seen, you know, in real time, what a little fat bloom will do mm-hmm. to like a tiny little crystal and that little bloom happens. And then the crystal goes away too. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, perfect. Perfect. Um, You know, yeah. And it's like, and there's no way for me to winterize it exactly because my, you know, compound's so unstable. And when I say no way, I mean, no way yet. Right, right, right. But it, you know, like, so I get to like see the same types of problems repeat themselves in other areas. And it's just like, it's so it's so great to have that perspective and work it backwards. You know, when I think about um, the two communities, what I love about the mushroom community is that there is a lot more commitment to green chemistry and renewable resources than we have with cannabis. And, um, and that's fascinating, you know, because people who work in mushroom chemistry are trying to figure out how to use those mushrooms to replace their other reagents. You know what I mean? Like they're thinking of incredible things to make themselves better. Um, and they're doing that without the regulation. Right. Without the government. Yeah, I mean, these, these mushrooms. Are Just for the crazy. sake of science. Exactly. So I love that part of the community. And that's kind of who I'm talking about when I say they're cooler. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily just people who are eating mushrooms, although they are fairly chill as well. <laughs> right. um, but, but you know, just kind of the industry behind mushrooms. Like, you know, if you think that, uh, that cannabis can be unsatisfying or financially non-rewarding, try making money off of mushrooms, right. you know, um, cause it's not happening. Have to love so it. yeah, like there's really no research. And so I, I love that aspect of it. It's, um, you know, and it, and it just makes it more fun because I find a lot of people in that mycology world who aren't big cannabis consumers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so then I do find someone who thinks the way that I think cares about the things that I do. And then I get to bring that cannabis knowledge to them while they, um, you know, school me on the most basic, you know, mushroom cultivation, you know, tips and tricks (laughs) that are out there. And so it, you know, it's finding that new audience for, you know, just, just the conversation, you know? 
the information is almost less important than just like figuring out how we can, you know, use it for and with each other, which I love. And there's, there's a ton of opportunity there. I think, you know, like we can use mushrooms to get rid of our cannabis biomass and the ethanol. Amazing. You know, like there's so much there that, you know, I can't wait, uh, you know, to learn more. Yeah. And I just, I just hope that, you know, in some way I can get other people to care more so that we can see it happen faster because mm-hmm. everyone who's passionate about, you know, development and scientific advancement in cannabis or mushrooms will tell you that there's no funding and, um, and you know, the world is full of money. So yeah, <laughs> there is funding. We just have yeah. to get it and, yeah. and we get it by getting other people to care, yeah. especially tickle, the consumers. Tickle the right ears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is about exciting. it. I look forward to yeah. seeing how this all develops. And it's especially exciting for me to know you're working with Rishi Mushrooms. You're going to get a lot of questions yeah. from me about that as I start to play. Yeah. Um, and- yeah, I've got my little my little vials and I just like I sit and look at them every day um, until this uh, HPLC comes because I've just made uh, <laughs> I've made so many things that I can't identify yet. Right. Um, one of my trying to even. Yeah. So I've got like all these little resins and all these little aromatics, you know, I've got my chocolate one, Yeah. you know, there's just so much going on and I like, I'm obsessed. I need to, uh, um, you know, so are you working with the, um, like the, the typical Rishi mushroom, the Ganoderma? Yeah. Lucid, lucid item? Um, so this is the downside to me, uh, as an extractor, cause I don't grow weed and I don't grow mushrooms. So I'm out here just at the mercy of the people who do. Um, so with the, the Rishis, I've gotten a few different types, but they're always like ground up before they get to me, mm. um, which is convenient, but being the person I am you're right yeah 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 I want to I want to see how hard it was to shred like that tells me a lot about what I'm gonna do next you know so I can um I can send you some of the golden rishis we have here which is a different species yeah it has has a different um aromatic profile than the Ganoderma lucidum does and uh, obviously when they're ground there's a lot you're losing too but um, yeah well I don't have a ton but I have a little bit I could send you well what I'm obsessed with right now is I'm trying to get everyone to just give me fresh frozen mushrooms mm-hmm. because like shredding through mm-hmm. the the hard woody texture yeah. of the of those mushrooms is most of the process. Yeah. You know, like almost everything you do after grinding it is a result of how well you ground it or, yeah, you know, yeah. what that process looked like or the degradation and everything else from there. And so um, getting my hands on fresh frozen mushrooms, that is where I'm getting the best results because I'm just doing the same thing I have always done. You just put that thing in a column and you just hit it with a couple different kinds of solvents mm-hmm. and you see what comes out. Um, and that has been fantastic. Um you know, in terms of just like the aromatic profiles that I can capture. Uh, There's no market for that. Nobody cares, but I am having a great time (laughs) figuring those out. There's there's tons of ways to formulate with that in ways where people don't need to care. You know, you can formulate in products to add certain elements to things that they will notice, may never know that it's coming from a mushroom or something like that. Um, Yeah. There's there's so much. That's the more I learn 
learn, the more interested I'm in uh, trying to formulate products at this point. It's like I've spent so much of my life studying products and understanding mm -hmm. them. And I'm like, I feel like I'm at the point, like, I'd really like to just make something that I feel good about that I think is, you know, going to be useful to people. And that can take yeah. so many different ways. But I'm like, you know, a lot of these mushrooms, they directly interact with the endocannabinoid system. They, right. you know, have all sorts of, you know, very interesting effects. Yeah, we could be using them in the grow to fight other fungus. We could be using them in the grow There's to fight pests. Yeah. We could be using, you know, like there are so many places that uh that they could be helpful even without our consumption of them exactly, and then yeah. you bring in to you know you bring your own body to the table and it's like there's so much you know i think of it like uh engineering my life right like if once you learn that you love garlic and then you just like start putting garlic in all your food you just start enjoying your food because it's the way that you want it and like i can do that with my body at a chemical level i'm all in you know yeah, and that's yeah. all i'm doing is i'm just picking out more pieces like this is you know like i'm thinking about these ratios as like the garlic of my you know vitamins you know like i yeah. need you know these little pieces and i i love figuring it out and i love uh you know, just like the, the tremendous amount of unknown because most, you know, um, oh my God, you want to get into the, like the, the strain species, whatever <laughs> classifications yeah. of mushrooms, are they animals? Like we've got a lot right, to, right. you know, are they aliens? Yeah. Like there's a lot to answer with those. Um, but it's, it's fascinating, uh, to just have all of that, like level of unknown, because I do think that is kind of where everyone's, you know, sort of humble perspective comes yeah. from is the that we're just starting, yes starting with a big question mark it's and that like is, stepping, that's where i live it's like stepping out on a plateau and just seeing this huge like unexplored valley and right. being like okay this is what we're stepping into you know we're exactly about to start trekking through and we're all going to go in different directions to try to mm -hmm. understand this valley and map it out and, uh, and then we'll discover more valleys after that um yeah yeah, it's, it, uh, it's, it's an exciting time. Yeah, it's it's proof that I will always be busy because, <laughs> you know, I just I am not. Uh, I don't have more free time. Um, you know, like I, I have automated more pieces of equipment in my lab than ever before. You know, the process is more standardized than ever before. We've got and more staff than ever before. And somehow, like I am still very busy. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really fun to, to have new problems. I think it's a nice yeah. refresher, you know, it's, it's good. Yeah. Well, um, this has been awesome. I've really enjoyed reconnecting with you, especially in this way. I, I don't know the exact timing of this episode, but I feel like it's going to be close because we started. Yeah, this is going to be um, maybe a two and a half hour. That's going to be awesome. Um, it's been awesome to sit down and reconnect. We'll have to do yeah. it again soon because there's a lot I want to talk to you about in the mushroom side of things that we have really only started to like kick the dust around on. Um, so we'll have to do a follow-up where maybe we just talk. Yeah, about I was thinking I would push uh, scheduling this out further because I've got like maybe two more weeks or so before I um, – get my uh, column for the HPLC. Um, the HPLC will be ready for me to pick up on Monday, uh, but I don't have a column, so. Yeah, so I'm not excited yet. Uh, and then, you know, um, so, and then I'll still have like time to figure out everything else. But, so I was like, ooh, maybe I'll wait so that I have all of this cool stuff to talk about. But I was like, uh, no, then I will like, you know, cause uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm like, who knows 
knows what I will find out when that happens and that might not be more helpful. So, you know, we'll just talk about it upcoming because, um, because yeah, there's so much uh, that like, I am just so close to, uh, you know, being able to say that I can't, yeah. but now I'm afraid to say, cause now I rely on analytics on after, verge, t- yeah. you know, yeah. After 10 years of being, not having them, um, now I'm like, like don't want to move without them. You know, yeah. like I've got a couple jars that I'm like, I'm not gonna take those out of solution until I get tests on these yes, ones. Yeah. Cause like I could do something different, you know, and I yeah. can't wait, you know, I've, I've been watching like, uh, you know, just, just fun little reagents to kind of try and figure out what some of these mm-hmm. are. I don't know if you've seen some of the reagents for identifying mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know, and so it's just like, it's the magic part of science. I'm like, Oh, it turned blue and then red. Woo, exactly. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, did you yeah, see it blue for just a second? Yeah. Like, I love it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So that part I can't, I can't wait to get more of, but you know, I'll just be deep in that probably all all summer so i would love to see yeah if you see a cool mushroom pop that thing in the freezer um because the fresh frozen is so much easier to work with um okay because i mean just think about shredding it in a blender like a a soft mushroom versus one that has been dehydrated most of the extraction process i think is so water heavy for these mushrooms because Mm -hmm. we're rehydrating it and like that's backwards Mm -hmm. just you know leave the water in it well especially polypores i mean they're just particularly it's just a very different thing than um you know mushrooms that someone would find uh growing you know like um mycorrhizal fungi or even saprophytic fungi that are like growing right. in duff and stuff in the forest when you're dealing with these polypores that are growing out of wood it's just yeah uh, it is like grinding gravel like you're not yeah. it doesn't Especially like i can rishis. Rishis see the, the whole chunks of it yeah yeah like so, like i've got my microscope out and i can still see like bark chunks yeah yeah at like this tiny like ultrasonic grinder powder size and it's still like a whole piece with the red and and i'm like break apart what are you doing because it looks fibrous too but then it isn't it's the it's fascinating i love it it's been so much fun to just kind of do something different for a minute you know because the weed is the weed is going great but it's um that's almost the problem yeah yeah exactly it's it's becoming uh, just the wheel turning in the background well i have have my other podcast that i do isn't life curious that i'm starting to start back up now and so our next uh conversation we'll talk about mushrooms and we'll do it there i think that'll be cool cool. perfect Uh, yeah change of pace out of the cannabis world Uh, yeah i'm loving it cool well thanks so much for being willing yeah thanks for having me back yeah this has been awesome for sure Um, and anyone listening this should come out before the workshop i think but murphy will be participating in our upcoming um workshop our um ultimate learning experience as i call it um it's a huge 15 week um educational series um it'll be extremely intense um definitely not for the the weak-hearted but um, murphy will be joining us talk all about extraction and we'll probably spin out talking about mushrooms in that too i imagine because <laughs> why not um yeah and try to try to get people thinking about these things um 
So if you are interested in that and you haven't signed up, um, check that out. I still have a few scholarships I have not given away. So I'm trying to tell people like, if you're interested in this workshop at all, apply for a scholarship, you will probably get one. Uh, Yeah. um, Anyone listening, um, check that out at ultimate.cacpodcast.com. And um, yeah, as usual, everybody, thanks for, uh, if you've listened all the way through, thanks so much for sticking it out through the whole conversation. That's fucking awesome. Yep. um, (laughs) Appreciate you. Yeah. We will catch you again soon. So everyone out there, stay curious and take it easy, everybody. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together. Visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS.